You got silence? You need silence. I've got silence. All right, let's do this. Are you, it's either silence or the sound of me eating a freezy. <laughs> silence of the lames. <laughs> Hello, freezy, my old friend. <laughs> Welcome to Sneaky Dragon. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. And I don't know what temperature it is in this room, but in other rooms in the house, it is 29 degrees. In my bedroom right now, 29 degrees. That's a bit too hot. That's it's bit, it's bit, very hot. That's very... Well, it's You're not, talking Celsius, right? <laughs> I was talking Kelvin. <laughs> oh, that's, I don't know what that means. Yeah, we don't know. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's 27 or 29 Kelvin. Look it up. <laughs> uh no it was a it was a hot night uh we got yeah. a fan we got a big uh, overhead fan you have a ceiling fan yeah which blows uh the warm air around and but the it warm does make air. it okay wait, it does make a difference it makes a difference if you're sweating but if you're dry mm. it doesn't okay. but then if you start to sweat then it does <laughs> that's the only way a fan works otherwise a fan is just blowing hot air around i don't know i don't it's know it's taking that. it's taking uh hot air on a little trip around the room do you have your window open I have a door open up there. Yeah, we, okay. got, a, we got a door that leads out yeah, from yeah. the bedroom. So, yeah, the door is open, and there's more hot air out there. I mean, yeah. There's no place that the hot air isn't. It does cool down pretty nicely at night. but uh, Does it? Yeah. Okay. So says Dave. So <laughs> says Dave. I still, I, I went to bed at like uh, about 1 in the morning, and it was, again, like I said, then it was 28 degrees, and then this morning it was 29. Yeah. 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 No, no, I'm not denying. With a uh, humidity uh, rating of 68, <laughs> which is pretty humid, I guess. I don't, once again. I hear it's not the heat, it's is the it, humidity. I heard it's not the heat, it's the cupidity. I've heard it's not the... Perlman once said. I've heard it's not the ego, it's the humility. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it's awful. It's awful? Okay. It's sorry. awful. The weather's awful. I'm not okay. a heat person at all. Like, I, if it goes over 20, I'm... Forget about it, I see. Which is uh, Celsius, we're talking, and that is room <laughs> temperature. Because we have, uh, that's what they call room temperature here in Canada, it's 20 degrees. Is that that's right? That's how I remember. Yeah, I remember uh, zero is freezing, mm-hmm. uh, 100 is boiling, okay. 20 is room temperature, Okay. and anything between 20 and 100, you! <laughs> that's, well, yeah. I... You're on your way to boil town. I found that I've been, I used to keep the temperature at 20 in our house, but I find I've been... Pushing it up a little bit by a couple degrees the last year or so. Not right now, obviously. I'm not touching the... I turn off my thermostat for this time of the year. But, yeah, I find... I I think I'm... I don't know what it is. Maybe I just don't want to wear sweaters anymore. (laughs) I used to... I used to really love it, sleeping in heat. Like, even in the summer, I'd, like, put a lot of blankets on and go... It would just, like, go into a very deep sleep. Wow. Yeah. Or, like, I'd be downstairs and I'd, like, turn on the fireplace. Like, because it was a gas fireplace. Yeah, yeah. And I'd, uh, and I'd, I'd get nice and warm in the room, which my parents didn't like because it cost money. Um, <laughs> but I would like to sleep, like, in heat. Mm. I, don't know, I don't know why that was. I think it might have been because I had had mono, and I was just baking during mono. And it was the one pleasant part about mono was you slept really deep, and you slept really warm, and you okay. felt comfortable. So I think, like, you know, I got a little bit hooked on that. <laughs> uh, but, but now I prefer to sleep in uh, coolness. Yeah, crisp coolness. I like that uh, much, much more. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm of the same uh, thinking. I don't We're like cool uh, cats. Cool cats, indeed. And what I'm not really, what I'm not liking about right now, is like when you're sitting on the couch and you're watching TV, is you get like a sweaty neck. 
I don't like that feeling. Yeah, it's a bad feeling. Yeah, and you're just like, why? I'm not sweating anywhere else, but my neck is sweating. <laughs> Sometimes we'll awful. do the, uh, the, this was the thing back when, when, when our little podcast started, oh, so many years ago, we did it out of an, uh, the Hell Kitty Studios, uh, Main and Broadway. Yeah. And it was freezing in the winter, and it was <laughs> boiling in the summer. It was. Like, boiling hot. So hot, it yeah. was insanity yeah. to where I, like, was inventing air conditioning machines. <laughs> Like, I was building contraptions, yes. you know, and filling them with ice and all this stuff. But one of the things they did that actually did work was a bandana around the neck that you uh, soak in, like, cold water okay. and put around your neck. Yeah. Uh, that would work. For what? For a short while? For, well, a, a fairly substantial amount of time. I guess as long as it's wet and you have a yeah. fan going. Yeah. It's not so bad. Yeah. yeah that's pretty good. So that's, that's good. my advice to you, that you avoid, uh, you avoid sweat neck. <laughs> Do you remember that show with the I kids, do. the sweatnecks? Uh, and, and one of the sweatnecks from the past came and taught the class. Yeah. Um, welcome back, sweaty. <laughs> okay. Okay, what was yours going to be? Go for I was going to say, welcome back, Carter. It was Jimmy Carter who returns to his school to no, teach. Yeah, that's good, but I think I got a topper on it. <laughs> okay. Because what are we talking about? It's sweaty. Yeah. Welcome back, hotter. Hotter? Oh, that's the one why did we? That's, sorry. Sorry, oh, that dear. was the one that was on the board. Okay. We we were playing match game and we got like the the <laughs> bottom ones, but the top answer on the board was uh, "Welcome Back Hotter." Sorry. Yeah. But you can still play for the big money. We're going to multiply that uh, two thousand dollars, and uh, you can talk to Richard Dawson here, and he's going to try and match that clue with you. Here we go. We're this just a brief aside from because it's so exciting when people talk about how hot it is. Uh, on that's the sound that refreshes. <laughs> Uh, on that show, which is called Match Game, right? On Match Game, were there very? Did they get much money? The contest contestants. When are we talking? I don't know. The like 70, by the time later, the seventies version, like with the guy with with Gene Rayburn. Okay, his, Gene Rayburn. Well, well, incredible microphone. Money, money did change a little bit. Uh, here's how it went. Uh, you would win nothing um, uh, for the main game. Really? But the, but, the, but then the bonus game was where you could win money, and then that's where they would give you one clue, and the and it would be like. You know, blank party. And then you had to ask like three celebrities, you know, for a fill in the blank to blank party, mm-hmm. pity party, you know, stag party, stag party, hen party, uh, hen party, right. So the, you get that and you can either pick from one of those or not. And then the first clue, which is the lowest ranked clue, was $100, then it was 250 then it was $500. Okay. So if you match, sorry, this is, t- I got an alarm telling me Dave's coming over in a half hour. <laughs> There we go. Let me get rid of that. I got here early today. You did. It was, and I'm glad you did. So okay, you win a hundred. So a hundred bucks. Yeah. Uh, two fifty or five hundred dollars. So then what happens is you have the chance to go for the big money, and they're going to multiply that by uh, ten. Oh. So then you could win a thousand, twenty five hundred, or five thousand dollars. That was the maximum amount you could win. Yeah. And at that point, you go head to head with like a celebrity that you pick. Everyone always picked Richard Dawson until they went like, "Oh, we can't do this anymore. Let's spin a wheel." And you randomly get someone, and then you get Fanny Flag, and then you lose because, because Fanny Flag wasn't good at it. But Richard Dawson was good at it. Was pretty good at it. Yeah. 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 Hmm. That's why they went with him. And also was trying to help. We wasn't trying to be a funny man because it feels like some some of them like are actually working against the person they're supposed ooh, to be. Ooh, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. No, money matters. Like because they're like they want to make a joke rather than be helpful. I I did find that in the main game sometimes. Yeah, where they try, they did a, a funny answer instead, and it's like this isn't Hollywood Squares. <laughs> that's right, I know it's a similar so, format, <laughs> and that you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the two top. Drunk celebrity morning shows uh, that were on at the time, I think. 
that they weren't filmed in the morning. I'm just trying oh, to. That's a good point. I'm gonna. I'm trying to give them a little bit of an out here. That they that's were. interesting. I never thought about when they filmed them. I would assume that they would film like. You know, uh, like a bunch of day, though. Oh, sure. And I imagine that as it went on, they got a little bit more and more. Oh, that's lit. interesting. Because I, I, I just assumed it was during the day because I felt it was that situation where, you know, if you're in L.A. and you're walking down Venice Beach, people will be offering you tickets to shows. It'll be like game shows and whatnot. Okay. Unless, okay. It was, unless it's something like Price is Right, in which case uh, there's a lineup. <laughs> because people want to go in there because you could just freaking win a car. So yeah, why yeah. wouldn't you line up for that every day of your damn life? I don't, I don't understand why that wouldn't happen. Right? Like People have jobs. They have jobs, sure. But, like, okay, so what's your job? Yeah, so, I know, but what are your chances of winning a car? Well, this is a good question. Yeah. Okay, so let's... I let's even getting onto the show. Oh, well, let's look at that. Like, how many people are in the audience, do you think, for Price is Right? Like, 100? Tops? I was going to say 500, but okay. Oh, no, 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 I'm no, no. That is not 500. I can't, I can't, get, I can't guesstimate anything, so. No, no, no. Let's ignore, ignore all my guesstimates. No, that's okay. Uh, so 100 people in the audience. Yeah. Not 1,000? Do you think there's 1,000 people I don't in know. that audience? It looks like a big play. It looks like a lot of people are there. Like, if you look at... Well, there definitely isn't now. Now there's much less people in the audience because of COVID. Well, yeah, but... But back in the day... All right, let's go... Geez, I think 500 is really pushing it. Like, really? Super. Well, how super. many people are watching like a Jeopardy? Not Jeopardy, sorry. Uh, um, no, Jeopardy is an interesting example. Oh, Jeopardy, I'd yeah. Say, sorry, I'd say Jeopardy. like... That's what I meant to say. Yeah. I, oh, boy, I'd say 100 tops for Jeopardy. So, small. so the audience for small. The Price is Right looks bigger than the audience for Jeopardy to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd say so because they, they have a different setup. And the, they've got to have space in front of them to, for people to run past as, as, as one thing. Mm. Whereas no one has to get up and run past you in the Jeopardy audience. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, pretty packed. Yeah. That's a good question. How many people are in the audience? But I would think like, is there anything that stops you from going to Price is Right every damn day? So if you go to Price is Right every day for like a month. Yeah. You can get picked for something, right? Eventually, you're gonna you're gonna be one. Like if you wear well, a shirt I mean, called "I Love <laughs> yeah. Drew," you know, or something like that. that yeah, you know, or or you know, put on your military outfit, uh, and mm-hmm. and you're gonna get picked, and your, then uh, you your, got a shot. Your Civil War uniform. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Battle of the Bulge. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Still fighting it, thump stomach. Uh, and Drew goes me too <laughs> every day. That's a fun thing, actually. To, and listen, as someone who you know uh, has gained weight and lost weight, uh, Drew Carey is interesting to watch on that show because I never know what he's going to look like. Oh, really? Like sometimes he is just slim and tight and completely buff and clean shaven, and other times he's full Santa. And it's like, <laughs> okay, he like lives it all. Sometimes he's got long hair. Yeah. Sometimes he's got short hair. Like that guy. There's no consistency to the look. Huh, interesting. Yeah. And none of them is, is better, and none of them is worse, but, you know, the guy's, uh, guy's a military man. He knows how to work out when it's time to work out. Mm. He's, a, he's an ex Well, you're never an ex-Marine. You're always a Marine. Uh, was but, he a know, Marine, actually? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he, he's a Marine, yeah. It's interesting. Is he very funny? Uh, watch his first appearance on The Tonight Show, and the answer is yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember him as a comedian. I just remember him as, like, a sitcom actor and, and now a game show host. Well, with his sitcom, he tried to, you know, uh, tried new things. So I got to give him that on that. Like his show was never uh, bland and pat, mm. you know. Uh, and whether you thought it was funny or not, that's up to you. But uh, he seemed to treat the the people I know that worked on the show were treated quite well. That's good. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I I always thought like he seemed an okay fellow. 
No, I'm not saying he was annoying. No, you're really bashing this guy really hard. I was not doing that at all. I was curious. Are you thinking Drew Struzan? Because that guy's a real son of a bitch. <laughs> I was... Yes, I'm thinking Drew Struzan. You're oh, right. okay. Very good. And all I know about Drew Struzan is he was the... Uh, he's a poster maker. And uh, he was... Um, <laughs> he's also an artist, I guess. Yeah. Artist. That's that's what a poster maker is. Cons- artist. construct posters. Yeah, well, I thought you meant he built the posters. But here's... here's uh, Here's the Drew Struzan story that I, I always tell real fast, and then we'll get back to whatever nonsense you were talking about. Um, we're at a poker game at uh, our friend uh, David and Allison's place, yeah. and my wife is uh, trying to put together a poster for a friend and saying she's trying to do this Drew Struzan style, yeah. and uh, the guy who we're playing poker with goes like, oh, he was, he was my roommate. Like, what? Yeah, he was my roommate in art school, and that was Marv Newland. Yeah. And yeah, he was roommates with Drew Struzan. Two very different art styles. And both had gone their own ways and done uh, great things. Mm-hmm. And if you go to a party with Marv Newland and Dave, uh, he will be all over Dave talking music. <laughs> because Dave is a font of music knowledge, and Marv just, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's cool watching you guys talk. <laughs> he starts off kind of standoffish, and then he, yeah. like... He starts to orbit, and then he suddenly, next thing you know, we're deep. We're deep into it. You're helping him move. <laughs> I like doing that. Yeah. Uh, no, the reason I was because uh, you know, like my idea of the Marines is that you go through like this incredible training, almost like mind changing training. Yes. To make you into something that you weren't before, like right. someone who can easily kill people without worrying about consequences too much. You know, and it's just weird to think of that as a, and then that, now he's a comedian. I can just see feels strange like i mean i guess you can change or whatever but it just feels like they would tra- they would just train the laughs out of you they would just change you so much that you're like i don't find that funny here's what i would put forward to you because i don't think that drew was ever in any war that okay. i know of but he still went through basic training like oh, as a absolutely. Marine, so yeah so imagine you're in that kind of situation yeah and then you know uh you know the time is 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 running out for your for your for your service. Yeah. Uh, you'd be you may be thinking. Uh, you know, I want to do something that's as far away from this as possible. Yeah. You know, and like you know, when you're a marine, you can't crack a smile. You gotta you gotta you know uh, be the tough guy. You gotta be this, and it's like I just want to do something artsy and make people laugh and just have a nice time and goof around. Yeah. And so yeah, be a comedian. And then you get that nice reward, but you've also got that uh, discipline from the Marines, which a lot of comedians don't have, you know, which is like, I want to have, you know, the lazy life and, you know, get up uh, when I was getting up and, uh, you know, and, uh, and do like work an hour a night and all this. And it's like, no, what if you've got the hustle of a Marine, yeah. but you've got the, the, the desire to be a comedian, then you become uh, Drew Carey and this incredibly successful you know, sitcom star, you know, and all, all these things. And mm-hmm. and you never really hear anything bad about Drew Carey. Even though, you know, you know he likes going to, like, strip clubs. You know, you know he likes partying. You know he likes doing all these things. Mm. But he's a decent guy. And yeah. so you never hear anything super, like, negative about him sure. at all. Sure. And it's like, that's something. Good on him. And also, he's a Marine, so he can just kill people and you can't, there's something they can do. Sure, if someone was going to, like, uh, do something, he would, uh, he would just kill him. him. Yeah. Yeah, he'd probably, like, kill Jackie Mason. <laughs> he probably did. Yeah. And how's Mort Saul die? We don't know. There's a lot of TMZ he, people who've disappeared and no one knows what happened to them. Oh, Definitely Drew Carey. Good on him. <laughs> Someone you has know, to do public it. Public service. Someone has to do it. Yeah. But you know, he's gotta take out Harvey at some point. Good old uh soda sipping Harvey. Do you know TMZ? Have you ever watched the show? I've never watched it. Okay. So Harvey, I believe Levin, he's the guy who used to be on the People's Court and was the uh 
the the lawyer who would stand outside and go, "So what do you think?" Uh, he was that. He was guy. actually an, a lawyer. He, he, he is a lawyer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so he was the guy who, like, after the case, and you know, judge, not people's court, Judge Judy. Uh, after Judge oh, okay. Judy would uh, do her business, uh, you know, yes. he'd go. Well, legally, uh, here, Bubba, and he'd kind of spin it so that it made some legal sense, and then mm-hmm. he'd like talk to the people who were on the street about uh, about the case and get get their sound bites. But then he started hosting TMZ. I see, and made it look like he was the guy who was sending them all out on their assignments. And it's just like, so what's uh, what what do you got on Ben Affleck? It's like, well, Ben was coming out of uh, Dunkin' Donuts, and uh, he had a lot of donuts, and we uh, we talked to him about it. Okay, let's see that clip. Hey Ben, what's with all the donuts? <laughs> just man, just, I'm trying to. I just there's donuts. Yeah, why don't? Why Ben? Do you think Batman would eat that many donuts? So is Batman like don't? What's Batman's favorite donut? And then cut back to Harvey and he's sipping mm-hmm. a big uh, giant like big gulp and going like, "That's good stuff." Really? <laughs> You're telling me the really, That's really good stuff. Okay, and then you know go to the next person they're harassing. Oh, oh. Yeah, we found Paul Rubens. Oh, what's what was he doing? He was trying to eat a picnic. Oh, what'd you say? Uh, you know, listen. Hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. You got you got you got ants. They're ants. <laughs> and that's that. And that's the whole fucking show. <laughs> I've never seen it, and now I don't want to. No, that's it. That's that's it in a nutshell. It's just people yelling at celebrities, yeah. And then coming back to Harvey with his gigantic drink, and it's just like, okay, when does he pee? What does TMZ mean? Hmm, something media zone? Is it the media zone? Is it the media zone? Hmm, mm, terrible meathead zone. You got me curious about that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so, so, just ramp or, or vamp while I do this. Yes, I'll ramp and I'll vamp. Yeah, ramp and vamp while you do that. All right. Hey, I went and saw a movie last night. Last night. Yeah. Okay. Because you know it's nice to do it during a heat wave. Let's go to a place that's air conditioned. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, I did, we did the Critical Hit show this weekend, and, and one of the gags we had was that people were just there for that. <laughs> okay, yes. so uh, it's uh, okay. So it stands for I would never have guessed this in a million years. Okay, thirty mile zone. Thirty mile zone. Right. So I guess that's the legal the, legal requirement of paparazzi is thirty miles away. Have to from stay there. away from. Yeah. yeah. No, I guess it's like they're in L.A., so it's like. They go around the 30-mile zone and talk to celebrities, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. that's uh, That makes sense? No? Yeah. Uh, the term 30-mile zone originated in the 60s when, due to its growth of location shoots, studios established a 30-mile zone to monitor rules for filming in Hollywood. Okay. Okay. Well, there we go. I guess, I guess when they were sort of, you know, letting filmmakers leave the back lot where they, where they had some control over them. And sending them out into places where there was less oversight. Mm-hmm. They didn't want them going too far away, so they created this. I don't know, I'm just guessing. I don't know, it feels very culty. I think. <laughs> it feels scarily culty. I don't like it at all. All right, so you went You went to see a film called Air Conditioning, the Who Cares with the Film. <laughs> we wanted to see the movie. Okay. It was uh, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris was the movie that we saw. Oh, okay, very nice. Which strangely follows in a, ver- a recent trend of rhyming movie titles. I don't know why this has become a thing. Okay, hit me with the other ones. Uh, there's, um, what's it called? Uh, it's like Belle and Mar, or Belle and Char go to Vista Del Mar. Oh, yeah, that's right. Belle and Star. Belle and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Yeah. And then another one, which is called Bob and Marge go large. That's right, yeah. So which that's I would in, like to see, but it's on a channel I don't get. Okay, and now we have Mrs. Harris 
Goes to Paris, which in defense of that film is from a book from the 1950s. It was written by Paul Gallico. Okay, and this is a non-true story. Or is it a, a true story? It's a fictional story, I believe. Okay. I don't think it could be real, but it was very charming. It was one of those films that you watch with a smile on your face through most of the film. You have a bit of a grin because it's just very lighthearted and, and uh, very... Uh, just happy, cheerful film. Oh, good. It's about a cleaning lady in sort of 1950s London who decides that she's going to go to Paris and buy a Dior gown for herself. So she saves because up. Because she's retired. She's not retired, no. Oh, okay. No, she has to save up her money so she can't retire. She has to actually take on more work. Okay, from the tra- from the trailer it looks like her husband went to war and yeah. she did not get her pension, mm. the war widow's pension, and then yeah. when the pension came in, she was able to afford a gown. That is not the plot. That is not the plot at all, all right, because that's just a very small part of it. All right. I was surprised at that too. I thought, oh well, now she's going to be okay. No, it was only like one hundred fifty-six dollars of or pounds of what she what what it was going to cost her. So. Oh, that's not good war widow money. No, no, it's not even worth killing your husband and faking his death. <laughs> not for her, right? Oh, she wasted a lot mistake. of wasted a lot of time, and. Yeah, so she has to save up, scrimp and save, and do extra work, and, and then she finally can go to Paris, where she has to face the formidable Isabelle Huppert as the uh, directrice of the Dior house. Now they're uh, snobs to her. Yes, so it's the slobs versus the snobs. This is the very first animal house. But yeah, no, it's, uh, but it's fine. But she's not a slob. She's, she's a very kind woman who does, is endlessly nice, does endlessly nice things that, that um, you know, pay off for her. Good. And people like her. And, uh, yeah. It looked like a charming movie. It looked like the kind of movie that I'd probably watch on a plane and go, that's nice. Good honor. It's a good... You know what? I... When I go to see a movie like that, I, I'm kind of like... I'm not doing it like consciously, but I feel like, you know, thinking about it, I like those kind of movies. I wish there were more made. If people go to see them, then they might make more of them. You know? Sure. All right. I'll go see it then. <laughs> To talk you into it, yeah. But I just feel like it's just like you know we were watching um, the trailers before, and I was kind of curious because you know, you know, obviously, just like everyone else, you know, we I'll go to all these kind of giant tentpole films, you know, whether they're Marvel or I went and saw Nope and stuff like that, and you kind of know what you're going to get in terms of trailers from these films. Mm-hmm. You're going to get other big movies, yeah. You know, but when you go to see a movie like Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. What is, you know, like, and so normally, like, the way they do trailers now is they're not put there by the, 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 the theater. They just come as part of the package. They're right there, and before, before the film starts, they're all okay. on the DVD that they get, that they play for you to watch. I know, this comes with the DVD. It's really weird. That's how you watch movies now. So, like, because remember I told you that about that time that I saw, I think it was The Second Hobbit, and about 20 minutes before the movie ended, mm-hmm. the sound cut out. Mm-hmm. And we sat there for a while in complete silence, watching a bunch of characters running around. It was it was it was as entertaining as it was with sound. Sure, sure, yeah, but, yeah. But finally, I thought, well, you know, I don't want to have to watch this whole movie again. So I went out and had to like search all around this empty theater because it was like the late show had gone at ten o'clock or whatever. So now it's like one in the morning. Anyone who worked there was wisely like you know hiding in a broom closet, smoking a dube. But I finally found some people in a broom closet and was able to get them to come out and. So they had to, they had to restart the film Oy. from the trailers, oh. and then like fast forward through the whole movie okay. to get to get to this. Uh, it was kind of so we just watched the film really fast up to a certain point, and then they stop and go, "Is this where?" You know, yeah. So anyway, so I was just kind of curious. So yeah, like so there was a George Clooney and Julia Roberts film coming out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oof. 
Oh, I thought it looked kind of fun. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. That one that one looked like to me it could just be called by the numbers. But it's just like, hey, that's... they're on a plane. Whoa, they hate each other. They used to go out, they hate each other so much. Yeah, yeah. But wait a second, hey, they've got to join together. Will they fall in love? Well, of course they will. You, yeah, that's you what know you them want. from lots of other movies that they've done this on. That's what you want from a movie like that. I have no problem with as long as it's done well, I have no problem with like, a genre film. Just call the movie Here We Go Again. Because they... it works. It yeah. works as the relationship, but also works. <laughs> Works and you've seen him fall in love a couple of times. <laughs> you can say that about lots of movies, though. Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, I'm glad. That's fine. As long as it's if, done if, well, if I'm find, not going to com- complain. If you're looking forward to it, I'm glad, and I wish you the best with it. And I just feel like when I was watching that, I was thinking like, this is a movie they just don't make that much anymore. Like you don't get like high quality rom coms. Like most rom coms now are like absolute bargain basement garbage, like Hallmark ones, which are just mm-hmm. like totally dull and just real pablum. Like you say, you seen it before that's really seeing it before like there's no well, effort the point. there's no effort the at point all point is that sure okay you don't you want. want to be surprised you watch them with your mom yeah yeah you you know if, if all of a sudden like someone uh got nude yeah you know it would Wah! it would be like a nightmare sure. you want to see the same movie but like, i just feel like you're misapplying the here we go again to the to the wrong <laughs> okay you know all right um yeah, it's just, we just you don't see it very much anymore because movies have changed. Like, way people movie going habits have changed, and so it's less and less like big productions with big big stars. Uh, you know, now it's kind of everything's sort of gone down right. in size. You know, to these sort of very small films, unless they're like something that's you know has like has kind of like a like Mamma Mia or something like that, which feel, people I guess people feel like, hey, that's a built built in audience. We can go really big with this movie. Sure. But, we don't want to go too big with uh, any other. Like uh, I'm, listen, I'm all in favor of seeing any romantic comedy that has people that are like six years older than me, and people are going, "This is valid." I'm all for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm into seeing Tom Cruise, a guy who's older than me, like uh, being the lead in an action movie. Fine, that gives me hope that I'm like, <laughs> hey, this is the way this is still going. It's all fine. Sure. Yeah. Sure. They're still giving George Clooney romantic leading roles. Plus, it's got the, the bizarre character. It's got the girl from uh, one of the actresses from Booksmart. Yep. Actually, two of the actresses from Book because Billy Lord oh. is in it as well. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. I, I don't know the name of the other actress from uh, Booksmart. Okay. But not the not Beanie Feldstein, but the other actress. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so you know she's really good. She's good in everything she's in. Yeah. So she's going to be good in this. Yeah. Be, Julie uh, Roberts is great. Yeah. George Clooney's great. No, they all know what they're doing. They've had yeah. practice doing the same movie over and over again. Just they're going to get it right. I'll, it's going to be fine. I'm just saying, I'll, I'll be in the theater for this movie. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> it's interesting we were mentioning um, the watching The Hobbit. Uh, I was uh, watching... Can some... I say unwillingly watching The Hobbit? Oh, which Hobbit were you watching? Which of the three? The second Ooh, that's a rough. Because I'd seen the first one in the theater, so I felt I just I had to go see the. Oh, the, you're in for a penny. The next two, the next the next two of them, I had to see in the theater. Oh my god! And I knew that's I knew true. it was going to be awful. Okay. Just my uh, just I just had to. I was watching uh, I was watching Amazon uh, yesterday, and mm-hmm. an ad came on, of course, for that as it has to. <laughs> yes. And uh, and uh, put a lot of money my, to my, it. My my wife Pia uh, said, you know, oh boy, that's gonna that's gonna make all the money. And I said to her, do you think it is? Because like three Hobbit movies just came out that no <laughs> one gave one shit about. Like why do you think like well, now all of a sudden everyone snapped back and went like, wait, you know what I need? No, no. And you know what I need more yeah. is like a prequel to that. <laughs> did you like Lord of the Rings? I, I did. Okay. How about a prequel with the Hobbit? 
which is not technically a prequel, but they kind of make it a prequel. They did. And then it's like, oh, okay. And there's three of them. Oh, my God. Uh, no, I don't care about that. Okay, well, wait. How about a prequel? Do you want to know where the rings come from? No. Why would I want to know where the rings come from? Yeah, well, this is all about where the rings come from and how, like, all the races get together. Okay, well, I know what happens. Like, yeah. why would I care about... Yeah, it costs more money than anything that's ever been filmed on TV before. Oh, that seems like a waste of money. Yeah. I don't think that's needed at all. I hope they have an ending in mind. Mm. That's, all I can, that's all I can say about it. They better plot it out an ending. Isn't the ending just like Sauron gets them or some such? Isn't that just oh, the that's ending? That's the problem. It's like watching the prequels, right? Where it's just like going to an ending. You already know what's going to happen. Like there's, this, there's no no stakes. You're just like, well, this character's not going to die or anything's going to bad is going to happen to them. So they're going to be fine and... This person's going to turn into Darth Vader, so you know that's coming. Yeah. I was just watching actually something about that um, on uh, Screen Rant, and they were talking about Strange New Worlds and mm. how it follows the Breaking Bad model of actually like working as a prequel, though prequels don't work because you do know everything. Better Call Saul, you mean? Yeah. What did I say? You said Breaking Bad. Oh, I'm sorry. Better Call Saul. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, because prequels don't work, uh, <laughs> but. They they play up like all these uh, slow burns in the characters and really like build things up. So what it ends up doing is making the actual uh, like it, uh, like Better Call Saul makes Breaking Bad better because you know more of the relationships and mm. now things have more impact. Yeah. And uh, the argument was the same thing was happening with uh, with Star Trek. It was like oh yeah yeah all right that's you know uh, and and you've also got a character. Uh, who's enjoying themselves for the most part in both, you know, which is like a, a big thing. Instead of just being pulled along through the plot that they must, yeah, do, yeah. it has no agency. The inevitable, the inevitable storyline. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the trick. Is like, how do you give characters agency when you know uh, where they where end up? Go? Yeah. yeah, and yeah. it's because it's about the ride. It's not about the destination. And if you can make it like that, and that especially works, I think. And I'm, I'm going off. I'm going off track what the person was was pitching as their idea on on the show but like i think that's what works with star trek is like it's not about the destination star trek is about the journey and about the, about the ride and about the discovery literally yeah that's the whole thing i would agree with that i think part of the appeal especially the original show was people just loved those characters and had and endlessly enjoyed their interactions you know mm -hmm. and so they could carry on you know like into the interminable movies and that never ended it felt like especially that first one Ugh. that first one's still going on <laughs> so they're still trying to those two antenna are still trying to talk to it's not about the destination other. it's about the verger <laughs> hey wait a minute this spells voyager sorry for spoiling it this is voyager ah and then just turn to the audience eh pretty good sad twist good enough you like this uh, bald lady she's not gonna be around this is her last movie yeah, you thought we were setting her up as a big deal, huh? No, that's it. <sighs> that's true. Yep. Why did that poor actress have to shave her head for nothing? Yeah. Hey, you like that guy dying in the transporter earlier? That was pretty gross, right? That's what you want. Uh, <laughs> remember oh, well. that. They got Ricardo Montalban for the next one. Fuck it. Who cares? We'll see what happens with that. I hear he's doing some push-ups. We'll see if that helps. Okay. <laughs> Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Nicholas Meyer, the director. Okay. Did he do anything else? Uh, I did that movie, is it Time After Time, whatever the one oh, with okay. H.G. Wells and Dr. Right. Ripper. 
That's a good movie. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. Mary Steenburgen, I think, is in it. The actor from that uh, passed away recently. David Warner, yes. David Warner, who was in uh, that. He was also in Time Bandits. He was mm-hmm. in every movie with the word time in it. <laughs> this is a joke. Yeah. He's in Tron. Tron Time, yeah. <laughs> He's in uh, Morgan, A Suitable Case for Treatment. Time. <laughs> it's a 60s movie. Okay. It's one of those uh, movies where you're going like, man, everyone must have been having so much fun making this movie. Because I hope they did. Because I'm not having any fun watching it. Mm-hmm. So they better have enjoyed it. He's like a artist. I guess it's like, I mean, I guess it make. I mean, the problem is, is like what you see a movie like that. It's so, <laughs> it's so based in its time. Like it's kind of a swinging sixties movie. So it's sort of like about, you know, the, the lower classes kind of coming up close to the upper classes in terms of like as okay. artists, as artists, they can kind of intermingle. They can as like, you know, in terms of like education or whatever, or sophistication they're not the same but in terms like it, there's sort of like this leveling in the 60s it's not entirely a true leveling but it was something of a leveling right you know like there's no way the beatles were like as had the same social status as whoever was above them before just because they were the beatles you know what i mean there's still like this sense of like hierarchy but there was a bit of a some leveling out of the, in that time and i guess this movie is about that and exploring like i don't know what it's exploring <laughs> He dresses up as a gorilla at some point in the movie, and there you are. Mayhem ensues. That's but it's not like watched. comedy mayhem. It's like he's having a nervous breakdown mayhem. So you're like, I don't when, know how to react to this. When did okay? When did uh, and I want to talk about Burt Reynolds after this if I could. Sure. Uh, and I'll forget it completely. When did gorillas become hilarious to people? Because <laughs> there was a there was a window. <laughs> you're right. Right. Like, there was a yeah. window where, like, on every sitcom, mm-hmm. someone would be in a gorilla suit at one point or another. Name a sitcom that didn't happen. I think that's what you just named it. What? Sitcoms? No, the gorilla suit. Like, a quality gorilla suit was made, and then it just got passed around? I think so. I think that's part of it. It's probably, like, similar, like, one or two guys who did it right. all, over and over again. But I also think it Wait. allows for a scary animal, Yeah. but a controlled scary it's animal. It's not a tiger. It's not a tiger. It's not a bear. It's easy to dress up as a gorilla. Because it basically has a human shape. Okay. But you still have the sense of like, oh, this is scary. This person doesn't know there's a gorilla. He thinks he thinks he's being handed the tools by right. his, his, the guy who they ran can away. Exactly. Hey, why stop making those crazy noises? But you can't do that with a bear because <laughs> a, a bear can't <laughs> a bear can't pass you tools. Yeah. You know, or it, it can't take the place of a person in a scene, or it can't. Right. You know, or or whatever you're doing with it. So there was that. Okay. So there was that, and then at the same time in comics. DC Comics had an editor who, who thought, like, you put a gorilla on the cover, it increases sales. I think so, so. Like, all the DC Comics had a gorilla yeah. on the cover. That's and because, as already said by Lisa Hanawalt, is that boys love monkeys. Okay. All right. I'm with you. Then, um, I think it all peaked. Yeah. And I'm I'm thinking this is, is it trading, trading, uh, spe- no, wait, what's the one with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie? Trading Murphy? Places. Trading Places. Yeah. Uh, is it that one that has the has guy the gorilla like, in the train? Yeah. Yeah. Who and, and he ends up like, you know, having sex with a dude who's like trapped in there with like there, there's a gorilla. And like you see, you see the guy, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, who's dressed as a gorilla yeah. and he's in there with a real gorilla and he's definitely being penetrated by the gorilla and his face goes, and it's funny because he's being. Uh, sexually assaulted by the gorilla. <laughs> yes. I think that's when it ended. I think that's when people. <laughs> that was the did... final strike. I think it was. Yeah. Because like after that, you can't point, go any further. No, we're done now, right? <laughs> like we are literally done. Yes. yes. Like that's it. Like okay, well, you know, a gorilla just 
you know, had sex with a guy. And he didn't want it. And that's the way it is. <sighs> we're done. <laughs> like, I think there's nowhere we're going from, from that yeah, point yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. I think, uh, I, think that, I think that, I mean, Jesus Christ, there was the Ghostbusters, uh, the original Ghostbusters in the 70s, and they had a gorilla. And, uh, you know, everyone had a gorilla. There's so many gorillas. Yeah, there was a gorilla-like thing, not just Ghostbusters, but there was a gorilla, like like a, one of the sort of cross-super show style shows. Wasn't there one with a gorilla involved in it? Are, are you thinking about the Ghostbusters show with uh, with Larry Storch? Oh, maybe I am. I didn't know it was called Ghostbusters. Yep. Wait, weren't they the way out space nuts or whatever? No, that was Bob Denver and the guy who, uh, okay. you know, hey guy, oh, the okay. guy who's hi uh, guy. in the medicine, yeah, yeah. Hi guy in the yeah. medicine cabinet, that yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. I could see how, why you think that. And you might also be thinking, wait, way out space nuts. They were way out space nuts. But then there was also the lost saucer, which was Ruth Buzzy. Hope she's doing all right. Uh, and uh, Jim Neighbors. And uh, yeah, then they had a, a, an animal called a dorse, which was half dog, half horse. Okay. Not great. And then, of course, you know, because it's a Sid and Marty Croft show. Yeah. Some kids get on the spaceship, go into space, and never can go home again. Mm. That's every, every Sid and Marty Croft show has the dark story of children uh, never go home and their parents never know and just think that they're dead. Yeah. You know, that's the one, well, that's the one downside yeah. to uh, Sid and Marty Croft. Sure, sure. Well, you have, like, a movie like The Black Phone that explores, like... Childhood disappearance in the seventies. Then you have shows like Sid and Marty Croft who have their oh, own their own take on they're it. They're tied on, tied together. <laughs> yes, yeah. That'd be interesting to have like the black phone, but do it Sid and Marty Croft style. <laughs> the black phone, the black phone. There's a guy he won't leave you alone. You better not go on his own, but he had help from the black phone. Yes, yeah. Without saying what the plot is, uh, yeah. <laughs> That was, again, the nice thing about the Sid and Marty Croft shows was they would just, like, tell you the freaking plot of the thing in the song. Mm-hmm. And it was like, there's a guy and he liked hats and now he's trapped in a world of hats. They're all hats. That is that. And there's a wizard and he's got a hat. Hatland. <laughs> I'm the sure, Sid and Marty Croft show. I'm sure we've talked about this before, but when I was, it was weird. When I had, when I had cancer... When I was in my for my first hospital stay. A friend came by and she gave me this book. It was a Gill- like a the complete Gilligan's Island or whatever. It was just like a history of the Gilligan's Island. Right. And in it, Sherwood Schwartz claims that the executive, when he pitched the show, an executive said, "Oh, it's a, you know, it's a fun idea, but it'll be too confusing for the audiences. They won't know why they're on the island every week. Like, why are they leaving? And how do they get there? Like, how are you going to explain yeah. this? And he says, oh, I'll just write this song. So he like hired a band and he." brought them to some party where the executive was at and he made them play the song there at this at this party and so the executive, you know but i was thinking like is that the first like theme that tells you what the show is about like it feels to me like that's not the very first oh, time someone thought of that yeah what's the first explainy one because my mother the car also like explains like why the, i guess i look at the person's my car, the car is their in, mother i don't see those in color Whereas there's some Gilligan's Islands that are in black there's, and yeah, white. There's a couple seasons that are black and white. Yeah. yeah, so I assume the Gilligan's Island is older. At least one season anyway. Yeah. 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 Which is interesting. I wonder if they do play, if they continue to play Gilligan's Island, do they ever show the black and white versions? Oh, yeah. Do they? Absolutely they do. Yeah, okay. yeah for sure. Mm. Uh, 
I was funny. I was looking at like when you were saying like the descriptive songs. I always like the one for "It's about time." It's about sp- like it's about time. Okay. Yeah, and it goes like it's about time. It's about space. About strange people in the strangest place. It's about time. It's about flight. Traveling faster than the speed of light. Here's the tale of their brave crew. As through the barrier of time they flew, past the fighting Minuteman, past an armored knight, past the Roman warrior, to this ancient site. Okay, well, we kind of get it. Yeah. It's about capes, capemen too. It's about a time when the earth was new. What'll they say? What'll they do? And it's just, yeah, they don't even know at that point. Like, I don't know what they say. What'll they do? <laughs> yeah. It's about time. I mean, it feels like, I guess after that, like, Shorty Schwartz, all his shows, you know, because the Brady Bunch is similar. It tells you the, the story of a lovely lady and who met this fellow and this family, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that really did help because you wouldn't, you couldn't, like, at the beginning of every show go, Man, I miss my dead mom. <laughs> How much? Not much. Put it behind me. Yeah. It doesn't really say when these this, these things happened. So. Yeah. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, I'm just trying to see, like, what's the first, you know, what is the first TV show that, like, you know, had a, a, a description of it? You know, Did like, almost all the other ones, like, uh, you know, uh, Father Knows Best or uh, Leave it to Beaver, they were all just, like, just music. Yeah, same with like I Dream a Genie, which is a pretty complicated show. Though the cartoon kind of showed you. Yeah, but they don't explain it in the. But they have like a cartoon, like and then it's, you know, and same with Gilgas Island though. They have a. They have like during the song they're showing you the. the things yeah, they're both showing and telling. Yeah. Whereas you know Gilgas Island is just like oh it's a you know it's an astronaut. And a G- I Dream a Genie, yeah, yeah, but it's still like you sort of show. A, I mean, like I guess it isn't. I guess it's not that confusing. You're just. No one's gonna go like I don't understand it. He has he has a lantern with a genie inside it. This doesn't make any sense. Well, it's just a dumb. Here's the weird sitcom. thing about I Dream of Genie. Okay. Here's the weird thing about it. She never showed her belly button. That's true. Because if so, he would have just like been boing <laughs> boner. <laughs> that would have been him. That would have been the whole episode. <laughs> Okay. I saw her belly button. So, so the, he's an astronaut. He is. He cares about being an astronaut. He loves being an astronaut. Sure. That's his big thing is being an astronaut. Okay. Uh, and I guess something goes wrong with like the capsule that he's in. Or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it yeah. just lands by the beach and he finds a genie. Okay. And so he has like basically infinite wishes. Mm. Never wishes to go to space. Never. <laughs> Like you think, like this is a guy, right? Like, yeah. like what's your whole thing? Oh, we got to get to the moon. Oh my God, Heart. we need to get to the moon. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, what do you got? Well, I got this uh, being that can like uh, get us anywhere and get us anything. Okay. Yeah. Well, we don't want any of that. And yeah. now let's have some wacky hijinks. Well, what's your motivation, uh, guy who's an astronaut who doesn't seem to give a shit about space? Never goes to space again. Doesn't give fuck one about space. Well, I mean, you, you go as a, as you're assigned, but yeah. You just don't you just don't run down and jump into a into a rocket ship and fly. <laughs> go, hey, everyone, go into space. See you later. But wouldn't you think like okay, so uh, you you're you're the astronaut. Like some of those astronauts only went into space once. Sure, sure. They never got to go again. Right, but they didn't have a genie with them that with infinite no, powers. But that's the thing. It's the same with Bewitched. It's both cases. But he's an ad man. But in both and cases, he uses her constantly to, to a degree, get ads. To a degree, constantly. He does it un- at least fifty times. He does it unwillingly. Oh. Because of it's emasculating. After the tenth time, it's is emasculating it? for the man to have to have the woman do things for them. 
Mm. Right? Yeah, it's really That's part of the show is about, right? Sure, sure. I can't have you doing magic. I'm going to do it on my own. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Then it all falls apart and then they have to do magic. Yeah. But that's usually because the mother-in-law screws it up. And so she's just making up for for time. And then like, why is Julius Caesar at our dinner? And it's like, uh, because, you know, uh, Cleopatra's there when Julius sees her. And that's why he gives her the salad. And it's like, this is, uh, you're fired. And it's like, wait, this is the greatest idea ever. I mean, you're uh, getting a raise. <laughs> yeah, that bullshit. <laughs> but, like, I'm just picturing, uh, you know, Major Major Healy? I don't know yeah. whatever his name is. Yeah, right. uh, but they're, you know, watching things happening in the space race, which is happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, uh-oh, that, uh, that rocket's in trouble. Well, you're going to get Genie to help? You know, fix that rocket or anything? Do some do something about that? No. Okay. Why would you astronaut? Why would you? Yeah, like, there's none of his motivations no, right. are astronaut. Based. No, they're not. It's as if at that time astronauts were popular, and so you just made him an astronaut. By the way, if you ever watched the first episode of I Dream of Genie, mm-hmm. they're having sex. Mm. Oh, they are. They are, and like, if not during the episode, yeah, clearly at the end. Oh, really? Clearly at the end. That's that's just boning time. It's <laughs> Why really sexy. Oh, really? It's really sexy. Again, I watched that on a plane. It was just like actually... I was just looking around, going like, "This is way sexy, right?" Like they're really, it's they're just, really. Did you actually think other people were watching it? No, but just, it's fun. It's, it's just you. It's fun to look around and go like, huh? "Oh, by the way, this is the weird thing now with planes, mm-hmm. which I think we've discussed." Is like, oh, oh, it's a long flight. Well, time to go to the bathroom. Stand up. See what everyone's watching. Tons of boobs. <laughs> I'm like, we're all, yeah, because I guess we can watch shows with nudity, eh? And like, I'm watching, like, a lo- there's a lot going on on these screens. Hmm. Okay. It's just very weird. Yeah. Yeah. What? This out of very sexy flight. Just out of curiosity. Yeah. This is this, this, this for research. Uh, what are these it's shows? Air Canada. What are these shows with nudity? Uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Game of Thrones for sure. Yeah. Uh, but people watch, you know, romance. No, you're right. The first season of any show. There's a lot of nudity. Yeah. And then after that, it's just everyone keeps their clothes on all the time. Right. Everyone forgot. They're, they're celebrities now. That's now they, they signed a new contract. No longer required to show boobage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it is something I do notice, or I did. Mm-hmm. I haven't been on a flight in years. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when you got up and you were walking to the washroom, I was like, huh. That's, uh, hmm. I never noticed that. Huh. Like, you just picture if you were like, say... You know, uh, if I was a 13-year-old me, yeah. I would be taking a lot of trips to the washroom just for the walk. <laughs> yeah. Slow walk. Sure. Yeah. Like, hmm. huh. Huh. Why 13-year-old you? Because, you know, that guy was like, mm. <laughs> you know, yeah, see, coiled spring. He didn't understand that there was TV that had boobs on it. No, the there wasn't because there, there was, wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't. When we... That didn't exist. You had to, like, watch uh, French CBC you had to hope for and, it. like, hope for the best for, like, some movie about, like... Toulouse Lautrec. <laughs> like, oh, he's so small and frustrated, but uh, all he can do is paint the nude models. Okay, I'll watch this film. This is fine. <laughs> I'm all for it. Okay, uh, uh, Burt Reynolds. Yes. Here's why I think Burt Reynolds back in the day uh, was a scam. Was a scam? Was a scam. Okay, do you know the, the Clint Eastwood Burt Reynolds story, right? No, I want to hear it right now. <laughs> Tell it to me. So they both, they're friends. And they kind of came up through the, through the uh, studio system together, and both of them went and auditioned at the same studio. And so they the, both did westerns, like yeah. old TV show westerns, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I guess this executive looks at their footage, and they they have this meeting, and he tells them that you know 
He's like, to, to Bert Reynolds, he's like, you can't act. Mm. Like, what do you think you're doing here when you are one of the worst actors I've ever seen in my life? Wow. You are terrible, and I don't think you'll, you'll ever have a place in Hollywood. Ouch. Clint Eastwood, he's like, you are incredibly ugly. Mm. You have this weird-shaped face. Right. Your body's weird. Everything about you is weird and long, and no one's going to find you appealing. Like, we need to hand some people. Blah, blah, blah. And so, <coughs> so pretty much they get told off and they're, they're walking out and Bernard Reynolds is smiling. And Clint Eastwood's like, well, what's so funny? He says... Uh, what's, you got to do this. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Though. What's so funny? <laughs> and Bernard Reynolds says, I can take acting lessons. <laughs> so anyway, go That's on. That's a good story. Yeah. Um, and those are, yeah, those are bad notes because there's not much you can do about that. <laughs> but here's... Uh, here's it's really... Subjective, of course. Yeah. There would be movies that would be comedy movies that Burt Reynolds would do, like, say, Cannibal Run 2. Ouch. Okay. So, you know, there's a movie theater. Yep. And uh, people are going, eh, what are you going to see at the movie theater? And then people are coming out of the movie theater and they're laughing, they're having a good time. And like, what were you seeing? And oh, it was like, Cannibal Run 2. Yeah. Like, oh, I should see Cannibal Run 2. You go in. And it's like, new, no, the movie's shit. <laughs> but. Uh, over the credits, they would run outtakes yeah. with Dom DeLuise that were hilarious. They were so funny. They were the best. And so people would leave the movie theater looking like they had a good time and yeah. maybe even fooling themselves into thinking they had a good time. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't have a good time because that movie was shit. That movie was told shit. Sure. But like the outtakes were amazing. And so, yeah, people would get like fooled, tricked, mm. hoodwinked. Yes. And then they go in and uh, suckered and they have to watch uh, uh, Jamie Farr as an Arab. <laughs> I don't think people objected to Jimmy Farr as an Arab at that time. Well, they didn't laugh. No, that's true. But that's was par for the course for Jimmy Farr. It was a bridge too far. Oh, I get it. Speaking of uh, boobage, uh, I remember my brother and I going to see Hooper in the theater. Okay. When I was a, it was which is a stuntman movie with Burt Reynolds. I think it's directed by Hell, not Hell Ashby, but. Hell Needham, some kind of name like that. Okay. There's a guy. So that, two of your brothers were you were you and your brother were seeing seeing uh, Hooper, and yeah. uh, your other brother saw Hoosiers by mistake. <laughs> He's the so wrong it was like theater. I, did, I didn't. I couldn't oh. read the writing. He went to the wrong theater. Anyway, so we got to see the naked woman come out of a cake, and he didn't. Mm. And we're like, oh, I'm 13, and this is the best moment of my life. Oh boy, you would have enjoyed Under Siege, I think. I think oh it's yeah, Under Siege, I though. enjoyed Under Siege. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a, that that's a good happen. movie too. Yeah, I don't think that happens anymore, the coming out of cakes, nude. Uh, and I think it's because uh, it's a waste of food. <laughs> I think more than anything yeah. to do with well, the social mores about nudity. And the cakes are too big to fit in the air fryer. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, not going to work. I don't think they're real cakes, by the way. They're not real cakes they come out of. They're like icing on a box. Would they actually use icing? I think they would. So some of it would, would be real icing. That's a waste of icing. I don't, I don't think we should get too, too mess up about icing being... It's not like a lot of flour was wasted or something like that. Yeah. Like an actual staple. Now, here's my question about that. Yeah. That I've never understood. And I still don't as a grown man uh, to this day. Yeah. So, uh, hey, it's your birthday. Yeah. Okay. And I wheel out a cake. Yes. Okay. Three three layers. Three layer cake. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's a very large cake. It that's sure probably is. too much cake, you say, yeah. for the room. But, <laughs> but you know what? Yeah. I don't want to be the kind of guy who objects to my cake. Nope. Nope. And then guess what happens? You get a knife. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. They take the knife out of your hands and put it back on the table. And then all of a sudden, music yeah. starts, and you're like, huh, this isn't happy birthday music. And then... Uh, uh, I guess they don't want to pay, the, uh, pay for the music. Yeah, a beautiful person. 
burst forth from the cake. Yes. In uh, some uh, scanty outfit. Yes. Or uh, in, in nudity or some such, whatever mm-hmm. is you know appropriate. And uh, and then what the fuck happens? Yeah. Do they like get back in the cake and the cake gets wheeled back? <laughs> Like what do you do? Like it so. like it seems like it would be awkward to get That'd out. That'd be of good. It. She comes out, does some dancing, which mm-hmm. I guess is part of it. They do some dancing and then and they climb back up into the cake and pull the lid back down over themselves. Okay, then, I got a better and then I, people wheel it out. I got a better pitch. Okay. Okay, so so um it's your birthday. Yeah. Uh and the cake comes out. Cake comes out. Music starts. Lisa's got like, this huh. cake for me and I'm like, this is amazing. This is amazing. Boof, you know, beautiful sexy lady. Bursts out, uh, arms arms raised, yeah. and goes, happy birthday. Yeah. And she climbs out of the cake, yeah. and then the giant pie is wheeled out. <laughs> and then she climbs into the giant pie, and then they wheel the pie away. And that's how she goes home. She travels She travels to work yeah. in the cake, sure. but she goes home in the pie. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay and then that. she brought her kids, so they get into a couple of cupcakes, yeah. and they wheel those <laughs> off as well. Because she's got to bring her kids to I don't think she work. should be bringing her kids to the job, but okay. That's... Yeah, they're fine with it. They know, they know what's what. They, <laughs> they know what time it they're is. They're okay with it. And they need the dough. Ooh. Ooh. The baker joke. Pie now. Oh, well, about that? <laughs> no. No. Disagree. <laughs> Strong disagreement on that. Okay. Anyway, yeah, I don't know how the whole situation... I guess she would come out and do a dance, and then... But yeah, then bow and leave. It's weird. I don't understand how any of that goes. It was a thing for a different time. That I mean, I guess that you just get into your... You get into the executive elevator and leave. Don't you feel like it was probably less common than you'd think? I do know... Like, if you were an archaeologist, yeah. looking back through human history... yeah. Like, through the 20th century, you would be surprised, like, how often people were stranded on desert islands. Like, it seemed to really in, be in the culture as something that happened a lot. Well, I mean, you don't know because, you know, a lot of them would just be marked as drowned, right? You wouldn't assume they'd be on a desert island. Everyone thought the Gilligan's Island folks were dead, right? No one thought they were on <laughs> I'm just going island. by, like, the literature of the time period. Okay, fair enough. But I think, like, in that reality, dead. Like, people thought Robinson Crusoe, yeah. dead. You know, uh, Tom Hanks' character in Castaway, dead. His wife yeah. thought they were, they was dead. Sure. So, you know, and most of the people who fall off boats do die. They don't have hilarious adventures with volleyballs and headhunters yeah, yeah. and the Harlem well, Globetrotters. I, I know the reality. I'm just talking about the culture. If people were looking back, they're not going to see the reality because reality has gone. They're just going to look at the, they're looking at the artifacts of our time. What if you, what if you read it, mm-hmm. Castaway? Yeah. Uh, but you had Tom Hanks go through all the adventures Gilligan did. So, you know, so he, put, so he, he did have the, the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, yeah. And, like, he stages Oh, you want to do the later? Yeah, yeah. Like, Not so, the earlier one? Well, yeah, later? both. Okay. So, you know, there'd be, like, you know, Kurt Russell would oh, show up. Okay. You know, and uh, and uh, Phil Silvers. Okay. And, you know, <laughs> and all stuff. And they'd, yeah, and they'd be headhunters and all this stuff. And you'd have all the adventures that the Gilligan's Island would you did. Would you still do a Japanese sailor? by an Italian actor. No. You do <laughs> you, you can flip it. And right. it's so easy to do. Yeah. Here's what you do. Japanese actor playing Italian. That's sailor. it, and you still get the World War II guy, right? <laughs> Who doesn't know the war's over, but he's an Italian. Okay. So you get yeah, you got a nice uh, like a nice Japanese actor. And he's doing the Mamma Bia. Oh, it's a, it's a World War II still. It's a scusi. And yeah, it's a one great. spicy meatball. Yeah, yeah. And that's not offensive in the slightest. No, it's not a at delight. all. No, it's a total delight. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then Tom Hanks is doing all of his stuff and you know, yeah. 
The, the so he keeps bumbling and missing his chance to escape. The, right. Uh, well, no, no, no. Here's what the thing. Yeah. The Gilligan is 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 Wilbur or Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, Wilson Confused is the me. Gilligan. So yeah. like Tom Hanks is almost ready to like go home and everything's fine. Yeah. And then Wilson will roll underneath, you know, the feet of the guy who's like sure. going to free him. Yeah. And then the guy goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And then falls into like the, the snake pit or whatever and gets bit to death. Giant spider pit. Giant spider pit. Yeah. Uh, Black morning spider, the most terrifying thing in the world. How could they just like say that and then just like leave it be? <laughs> My God. Oh, you know, there's a gigantic spider on this island, right? What do you mean? You know, like a man-eating spider? Yeah. What's it fucking eat? You know? No, I don't know, because there's no animals on this island. How is that thing living? Like, is there are there yeah. are there humans that it's keeping? There were people that have come washed up on the island mm-hmm. before. Other people, yes. Because what else is it eating? There's no animals. Yeah, yeah. And that spider is not a vegetarian. That spider invented a weather machine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> kind of some supply of... Um, here's what I maybe I'm giving too much credit to that spider. Here's what I would do with that spider to take the edge off it because it is a terrifying idea. I don't and, even remember that spider. Oh, you've been, brought it up many times. I've the no Black memory. Morning Spider. Look okay. up Black Morning Spider. I'm sure. I'm on. sure I saw it because I watched terrifying. all of the shows. It's no Batman's giant clam, but it's pretty bad. <laughs> okay, so here's what I do with that plot. If I was doing Gilligan's, is the clam in the movie? The Batman's clam is that in the movie? No, it's in no, a TV show. TV show. Okay, because it was a, it was a, it was an episode that ended with Robin being eaten by the giant clam with the infinite teeth. Okay. <sighs> you had to wait till the next day. It's so terrifying. If you watched it at the time, it would have to wait a week then. No, no, it was on twice a week. The show was on twice a week. Yeah, it was on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so that's why I didn't say you know next week. Yeah. It would go like next time. So uh, okay. Same bad time, same bad channel. Wow, that's a Tuesday that's a heavy production schedule. Yeah, but it was an interesting. It was an interesting dynamic because yeah, they would pay off the uh, the the earlier that week thing with a two part. Yeah, it was it was cool. So long story short, here's what I would do with that uh, black widow, uh, black morning spider. Yeah, is it's a gigantic spider. It's terrifying. Everyone's terrified. So you do your Avon Costello bits. The <laughs> you know, someone's yeah. caught in a web at one point. You got to free them and do all the things. Sure. And then what you then what you find out like at the end is like he's kind of a charlotte. And, like, you know, he becomes uh, friends with Gilligan. And he's spelling out, like, uh, in a giant web, SOS. Okay. For them. To yeah. save them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then uh, something happens where Gilligan screws up and then the spider floats out to sea. Oh. Uh, yeah. And that's the end of the spider. Yeah. He goes to Fly Island or something. Because, <laughs> honest to God, what's it eating? It's eating something. What's it eating? What the fuck is it? Maybe it doesn't eat, need to eat that much. If it was... If it eats every hundred years, it's fine. Okay. Look. Mm-hmm. Gavin, <laughs> well, so it's, look up Gavin if yeah. you don't know Black Morning Spider. Yeah, uh, look it up in association with Gilligan's Island. Look at the size of that spider, mm-hmm. and let us know what you think that spider needs to eat. Mm. Okay, it's eating something. Now it is conceivable. Here is the one conceivable thing I will give you. Yeah, is that possibly sure said spider mm-hmm. uh, can survive in water, and if so, it would go into the water and it would eat fish, squid, or other like aquatic life. Yeah. That's the only thing I think it could, because there's no birds on the island either. Well, so because like, of, has... of the spider. Oh Jesus Christ! Is that why there's no birds? Or animals? Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Do you find spiders scary? Gigantic spiders, a spider as big as your car. Yeah. 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 Wouldn't you find a, a car-sized spider scary? I mean, 
I guess. Okay, here's here's what happened to me two days ago. I'm uh, I'm sending out some files. I'm on a deadline, and I'm like, just need to get these files out. Yeah. And uh, and I feel something crawling on me, and I'm like, I know this thing is going to be really creepy if I look and see what's crawling on. Yeah. Me, but I've got to get this done, and I don't have time to look at this right now. So I so I'm finishing off the thing while I feel this thing crawling on me. Yeah, yeah. It's crawling down my arm, and I'm like. Oh, it's gonna go to my hand in a second, and then I'll see it, and then I'll be like, "Shit!" And I'm gonna have to deal with it, and I don't want to deal with it, but I've got to get this done. So yeah. I'm typing as fast as I can, sure. which is making the spider move faster. Okay, it turns out it's a spider, uh, and yeah, it was this uh, large orange spider that I had never orange. seen before. Yeah, it was orange. Huh. Orange like, morning spider. I don't know what it was, but it was kind of orangey and it had almost like stripes on it. And I was like, "Oh, maybe that's not good." And then picked up a little coaster and just went click. And flicked it, and I felt bad because I flicked it across the room, and I was like, "Oh, I hurt the spider. I don't like that." Uh, but then it just whipped up the wall and was like, "Ooh, I don't like that either." <laughs> that it's fine. Wow, yeah. that's my story of uh, I was too busy to flick a spider off my arm. <laughs> so I'm not that scared of spiders. I'm no, not scared enough just... that I won't let a spider be on my arm when I've got a deadline. Yeah, and you didn't kill it. No, I don't want to kill a spider. Why would I kill a spider? No, it's silly. Make it rain. Although, yeah. Wait oh, a second, boy. That'd be nice. Kill all spiders. No. Then you get a whole bunch of wet flies and, <laughs> and so on. Okay, so uh, we're we're talking about uh, pop culture as we as we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw Nope. I saw Nope. I saw Nope. We don't want to spoil Nope. Uh, but uh, what do you think of Nope? I say yep to Nope. Me as well. I really liked it. Yeah. I don't want. Yeah, we can't talk about it too much, but I liked. There was. I liked it all. Very much. There was one element of it I thought needed to be upped a little bit because I didn't find it very scary. And I don't think he was going for scares so much, but I felt it very kind of... The reveal was a little bit kind of like, meh. That's how I kind of reacted to it. Like, it wasn't like, oh, this is, ooh. I was kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know. I don't there was it's... one very disturbing scene in it to me that was like, jeez, that just was like haunting and still haunts me. Uh, I'll have to talk about it after, yeah. after the show, but... Yeah. I felt like it needed more. It needed a grisly, gory scene in one part, and and we didn't get that. We kind of got a suggestion of, of things getting bad, but not like something that you watch and just go, "Oh, I can't even look at this anymore." And I and I not that I'm like a huge gore hound or anything, but I feel like sometimes in a movie you need to have some sort of consequence that that makes you go, "Ugh," mm-hmm. you know. And, and this movie didn't have that. But what I loved about the film was I loved that it just breathed. I just love that it just kind of told its story. It didn't push anything. The characters, you know, were introduced to you <coughs> in their own way. We, you didn't really get much background about them. You just kind of discovered who they were by their actions and by what, yeah. what they did during the film. You know, right, right away, and this is not really a spoiler, but right away we, we get a sense of, of uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character... You know, you get a very right away. You get a sense of Kiki Palmer's character. You know, you can see how much how passive he is. You know, how little he, how much you know, like you know, he's just sort of waiting. Yeah, and, and he's, he's been, not. He's kind of been beaten down by life a bit. You I, know, you, know like, you get that sense for taking sure. Taking some turns. Sure, you know? and then you you get uh, her this sort of irrepressible but irresponsible and not very pleasant person. You know, but that he needs her. You know, because he cannot speak for himself, you know. Right. And often that person in the movies, the person that we're rooting for, is the the poppy person that we're like, ha, ha, Yeah. And it's like, ugh. But you see, like, what that really means. Yeah, it's so tiresome. Like, yeah, I'm going to get stuff done. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to actually get the stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. 
and uh, yeah, it's just a lot of talk and and aimless. Uh, and I just I just like that throughout the movie, their characters, you know, they just step by step they they be they kind of come out of themselves or learn learn from this experience to be better people and stuff. And I love that bit parts became like full on you know like full on characters in the in yeah. it as well. And if I can go into theme a little bit, is that okay? Is that okay? Yeah, I think so. Like I felt it was really about like exploitation of animals in particular mm-hmm. with the horses you know being part of that for sure and a sense of like we our sense that we should dominate we can dominate and we should dom- dominate animals you know and we could write that onto humans as well obviously as part of it too i think jordan peele wouldn't wouldn't want to not do that but um yeah i just felt like so the movie kind of has that that aspect to it and you just kind of watch it through that prism it's um it's really interesting everyone does a fantastic job acting in it everyone like every actor in this movie just kind of turns in like a hundred percent effort and just are great. Um, Stephen Ewan is really good in it. You kind of wish he was in a bit more. I really liked him as a sort of hapless character. And yeah, just the way that everything kind of unfolds in a way that doesn't feel forced. That you you're allowed to to learn things without someone saying, "Well, you know what this means." <laughs> it is. Yeah, you just pay attention, and it'll reveal itself to you. You know, like keep watching it. You know, and if you have objections, think about what you the movie afterwards, and you'll you'll fill in all of your. If you thought there's something was missing, if you're thinking like, oh, why didn't they say this? Well, they did say that. They just didn't say it out loud, but it's there. The information is there for you to to take and figure out what happened. If you go backwards in the film, you can take back step by step and you understand why people did what they did, what their motivations are, what their understanding is. I thought that was really great. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I can't go too much more into it, though, because anything else I would say about it would be spoiler. Yeah, spoiler. there's a nice sense of agoraphobia in that there's just such wide spaces. Mm. And you would think, like, you know, that would make you feel free. But it, that's the, that's dangerous. Because, <laughs> like yeah, you're not Yeah, yeah, you're, you're exposed. Too, yeah. You're so exposed. Yeah, they play, they play with both, like, agoraphobia and claustrophobia well. They play with a lot of different fears yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing that was like, uh, and again, this is not a spoiler thing because it's just what's on the soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, you had like, uh, sunglasses at night as, uh, that was weird. Song. Yeah. And then, uh, a gallon song. God, yeah. It was like, who's picking the movies here? Like, yeah. Is it much music? Is yeah. it like power hits from like <laughs> CBC from like the eighties? It's weird. But, yeah. but, but th- then I was like, oh yeah, you know what? The gallon song really does kind of work. You know, and the lyrics to the Gowan song, just the, again, I'm sorry, I'm reading lyrics. But like, uh, so the opening of the of Strange Animal is, well, they say I should approach you with caution, but not to let you be aware of my fear. Never know what you'll find. Never know what you'll find. Don't understand your kind round here. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, those are good lyrics for this, this, this movie and the, one of the various things that's in the movie. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it applies to all kinds of. It's probably to everyone in the movie. I mean, it's nice too because it's one of these things where, like, you know, without saying what happens, when you see one of the elements of the movie, I think it assumes that you know things about, like, oh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> like, because you've, you know, you've you've read about this kind of thing, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, and then and so you're already putting it together yourself, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a fun trick that I think he plays is mm-hmm. like he knows. He, he assumes, uh, by that I mean Jordan Peele, yeah. uh, I think he assumes you've seen horror movies. Yeah. He assumes you're smart. Yeah. And goes like, okay, I'm going to show you this. Oh, you think it's that? Well, you, you know what? I'm not going to be a dick about it and say you're wrong. 
But there's another level to this. And now I'm going to show you the second level to this. Like, oh, motherfucker. Oh, geez. Okay. All right. Yeah. And you're getting that uh, second level. And I think that's the thing he does with his movies. Yeah. Is, you know, you see the trailers and go like, oh, the trailer's really scary. Is it about the thing that I see in the trailers? Yeah. It's not a fake out. Yeah. But I'm not showing you the other part. Mm -hmm. There's something else that's that's there. And I'm going to. So it's worth your while going to the movies and not going, well, I know what the movie's about. Why do I want to go see this movie? No, 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 no. It's about what you think it is. Also, mm-hmm. here we go. We're going to go way deeper and there's going to be other levels and I'm going to reward you for coming to the theater. Yeah. Yeah. And as you know, I I like about two thirds of us. So I wasn't like totally taken with that movie. But uh, yeah, a film like Get Out is interesting because even when you know the twist, it's still it, it's still an entertaining film to mm-hmm. watch. You know, like the characters are good. It's you and you see like the tricks yeah. When the second time you watch it, the first time you watch it, you're not aware of all the tricks that are happening to this poor hapless dum dum. But then you start going, "Oh, this is uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> this is very very clever what they're doing. It's very yeah." Good. And the same thing, even with Nope, there's things that you know, watching the movie is like, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then like later you're thinking about it going, "Oh, that's why mm-hmm. that, and mm-hmm. that's why that, and little mm-hmm. things." Mm-hmm. Da, da, da. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. And yes, all right. Thank you. That's just. And that's good. Nice when a movie that's thinks right. you're smart and rewards you, and yeah, you, and and you can talk about it afterwards. And like Lisa and I were talking about it after, and she had some objections to it, and some were some were sensible objections that come from someone who knows horses, mm-hmm. you know, and is reacting to maybe to people who don't know horses. They're writing horses as not like horses, or writing about the horse world without understanding, sure, you know. But at the same time, I'm saying to you know, I'm saying to her, but you know. That person's not a horse person. They're not going to know these things. These are obscure things that you know that no one else knows. I could say these things, and no one would know what I'm talking about. You know, you have to you have to react to the you have to react to the characters who they are and what their understanding of the world. You know, and uh, and that's what makes it interesting is that you can explain like if you think oh this why did this happen or whatever you go well because this is how they see the world and so their approach to it is like this. You know, and it doesn't make sense to us because we understand it this way, but they don't. And so, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just interesting, like, that you can see, like, you know, like how someone's thinking about something and where they're wrong there, but they can't see it because they're stuck in that, that mindset, you know. There was, a, there was one scene that I was a little disappointed because I thought, oh, they're going to do this. <laughs> it was like they describe a TV show and an episode of a TV show where something happens. And yeah. they describe all the actors that are on the TV show. And when they describe the actors, I was like, those are all actors you can get. Mm. Every one of those actors will do will answer the phone for this director yeah. and will do this. So you could recreate this show. And they all look enough alike to, to uh, how the age, this all makes sense. Okay, this would make sense. They could they could do this, and so I was like, over the credits, they're going to run this, like, the, but they and they didn't do it, and I was like, yeah, that's too bad. But they described it so well that I still have it in my head so clear <laughs> what that looked like. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I had I had a scene like that in uh, that bothered me in uh, Thor: Love and Thunder, where like it really felt like they set up a joke, and it was like they didn't pay off the joke at the end. I'm like, ah. Just felt like, but you know, they don't owe me nothing. But I was like, <laughs> different sense of humor. Different sense of humor. Different sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, no, I really, I really did uh, like it, and it was an. I also like that it's an experience in the theater. That mm. kind of film mm-hmm. that everyone's like, okay, we know we're going to see something. Mm-hmm. Let's buckle up. Here yeah. we go. Yeah, I went and saw it in IMAX because I knew it had been shot with IMAX cameras, and right. I wanted the 
and I wanted that scope of the IMAX screen as part of the part of the experience. Uh, we did not go see Mrs. Harris goes to Paris in IMAX. No, as much as I like to see Dr. Gowns writ large on the screen. Just, you know, how would she have done in Dr. Things as Harris? <laughs> I don't think she could make a nope. It wouldn't wouldn't be in her. Hmm. There's a cultural there's a cultural divide called the 1960s that separates us from Mrs. Harris. Okay, fair enough. We can never we can never understand her, and she can never understand us. Oh, that's too bad. Our worldviews would never never gel. I don't think. There's one thing about uh, about us uh, that I think you know. Uh, again, I know people that like us, and some people are like. Eh. Uh, <laughs> I'm, and, I'm on that. Eh. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But the one thing you've got to give, and maybe you don't have to give it, but I think you should, uh, is, uh, well, I haven't seen that before. <laughs> you know, it's not, I guess you don't you're fall right. Into, you, don't, you don't get that. Sure. And, and that I find, like, I just watched Grey Man. And so, yeah, you know, yeah, I did. I watched it, too. Yeah. And so, like, by the time you get into the, the last third of the movie or, like, where he's, you know, handcuffed to something, you're like, oh, I know. He's not going to get like his arm shot off. Yeah. Like I know nothing. Like I, yeah. I know who's safe. You know, you know nothing's going to happen. So. You know nothing's going to happen. Yeah. You know it's like okay. Every basically it's like a it's bowling and they've just filled in the gutters and now it's well, all safe. It's just so weird. Like they don't understand. Like that movie, it doesn't. I, maybe it's all movies now. Or most so many movies nowadays don't understand the idea of peril as being. It's not the main character's peril mm-hmm. that you care about. It's the other people's peril. Like, if you think about a movie like uh, Fallout, the Mission Impossible film Fallout, okay. you're worried. You're worried about. I mean, you you know, obviously, you worry about the team because you like all those people. Yeah, except for Tom Cruise. You don't worry about him. No, because you know he's going to be in the next movie. The only thing you're worried about <laughs> Tom Cruise is. Yeah, I, guess I wonder true. if he really got hurt doing this. Yeah, like the, yeah. the actor, not the character. Yeah, yeah. Because he shouldn't be that high up. But you're worried about his wife. Yeah, yeah. She, that's because it because it would work if she was gone. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem. Is like we're like, mm, yeah, that's possible. It's just possible, right? And so, Simon Pegg could die too. Mm, Absolutely, hundred yeah, yeah. percent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So that's one maybe one problem with the films now is that they're not quite as bloodthirsty. Like before, they would just kind of get rid of characters willy nilly. Oh, the first movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a yeah. They killed Willy and Nilly. <laughs> and Nelly, they and so it's uh it's a little safer feeling, but yeah, but you still have like, you know, so all this stuff's happening, you know, he's chasing with a helicopter, he's trying to get the bomb, blah, blah, blah. But you're, you're not like, oh boy, I hope he doesn't crash the helicopter. You're like, oh, I hope he can save his, his wife. Yeah. From, you know, his ex-wife from being killed. Like, you know, so that's where your, that's where your concerns are. You know, your concerns are in, in those characters because, you know, and so when you get to this gray man movie, there's, you're only supposed to be worried about him. And you're like, but he's not going to die. Yeah. He's the title character. Yeah. And we've already established that it's a cartoon. And everyone can do anything they want to do in, a, in this cartoon world that they've, they've created here. It's just a giant cartoon where people are, like, running around with, like, six guns strapped to them. And they as all if they kill the nothing. non-playable, ca- you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. NPCs. Yeah. Very easily. A single woman can, can do a siege on, a, on, a, on an actual castle. It's not even, like, a pretend castle. Yeah. And you it's know, an actual castle. You know if they toss the gun to the girl, little girl who's the hostage, she could, like, take out 12 ninjas. <laughs> like, there's no, just, it's no just, messing yeah, around. Yeah, there's just, like, it's, just so, it's just so silly that, uh, yeah, it's a very... Whereas, like, when you're, into, when you're watching us... The third act, as much as it's like, well, this is this is nuts and makes no sense. <laughs> yes. But at least I'm like, again, I have not seen this before. Yeah. I, and you sure. know what? 
I don't know where this is going. Yeah. And by that time I'm at the end of the movie, I still don't quite know what just happened. <laughs> and I'm like, is, is that, is what, thing. is what's happening here? Mm. What I think is happening here. Yeah. I need to talk to someone about this, you know, whereas at the end of, uh, the gray man, I'm just, <laughs> just like, well, this is the start of many more adventures. Who gives a shit? Is that what they say? Well, it kind of, I, I can't right? remember that part of it, but I, like, watched, I watched it all. But, it's uh, just, who cares? I just you watched can, it because I was follow curious. every plot, you know, I heard so many bad things about it that I was like, oh, I got to watch this movie because, you know, you just kind of want to see, like, like how is it bad? What do they do that, that's, a, that's not making this movie work? And why? Because, you know, these are the guys who made um, that movie, you know. Endgame. Infinity Wars. Okay. And Endgame. But I don't think it's as good as Infinity Wars. But... Okay, but they made both of them. Yeah. They also made the paintball episode of uh, Community. Like, they, I mean... They, I mean, they didn't write those, let's be fair. So here here one of them is writing this screenplay for this mm. movie. And maybe they're good directors, but maybe they're not good story constructors because uh, that is, it's not a well-constructed story. And the Chris Evans character is just like so mind-bendingly, like, I don't know how to describe it. He's simultaneously over, so malevolent as to be impossible, yeah. but also so inept as to be inconceivable. Yeah. Like the whole time you're watching, like, who? Like, it's just like if you're watching a movie and this person got a taxi and they got in the taxi and he was driven by a drunk guy who then proceeded to drive him dangerously all over the city in this crazy way. Yeah. While telling racist stories. While telling racist stories. <laughs> and then you're Locking just. Mocking you for being uh, pro vax. Yeah, yeah. Just the whole thing is like, everything's awful about it. And you're like, oh, that was terrible. And the next day, the person did it again. You'd be like, well, okay, the first time, I can understand, but what is it still going on for? Like, why are we doing this again? And that's the entire feeling of this movie. Like, why didn't somebody just, like, fire him, like, a half an hour ago in this movie? Like, I don't understand why I'm still watching this character yeah. do things. Really it makes no sense. Like, and also... Was it his if mustache? You, if you're a villain, you got to have something redeeming. you got to something. Yeah. Something. Yeah. And it's like, no, there's nothing. No, just, nothing there. For no, any of them. For any of them. Like, and what, what did you care about Ryan, Ryan Gosling's character? Like, what was great about his character? What did, was it, did, was he, did he sacrifice himself for others? Was, well, he had a hard childhood. Mm. They went to jail. Oh, yeah. And uh, jail was hard, but he likes watermelon gum. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Doesn't help, does it? Doesn't help. I mean, look. It doesn't help. When you have the watermelon gum thing off the top, that's an audience, like, that's a trick, which is like, He's chewing watermelon gum. You've established this watermelon gum. We all know what watermelon gum, watermelon gum t- t- tastes like. And now we're like, okay, we're relating to him. We're thinking, we're thinking watermelon. Okay, yeah. I can relate to him. I relate to this character. Yeah. And there's things you can do from that point, but then there's nothing. Just nothing. You do nothing with that. Well, I mean, I guess you can sort of relate to that character, but you need that character. Once again, I'll go back to Fallout. So we have this scene near the beginning of the film where Ethan has a choice to make. He can protect the plutonium or protect his friend, and he protects his friend. Yeah. He protects the person that he's been in these movies with since the beginning, the one character who's been in all the films, besides Ethan Hunt. Who's he protecting there? Luther. Oh, okay, yes, yes. Luther's... Well, that's not been in all... He hasn't been in all the films, but yes. I guess he's not in two, then? I think so, yeah. I think okay. he, like, skipped. There were some that were skipped. Skipped, yeah. okay. Then they brought him back again. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. But but he's been there since the beginning anyway. He's in the yeah. first film, and he's, he's, he's still there. So... Um, so yeah, so we establish this character. He's willing to, he's not willing to sacrifice lives in order for whatever these sort of global goals or whatever the goal, right. of the, you know. And so that makes us say, well, this character cares about people. 
So we understand that about them, and we we assume that throughout the rest of the film, he'll make choices based on that principle. Yeah. And he does throughout the rest of the movie. He, all his choices are based That's around... That's what makes a hero as opposed to, you know, just a good soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's, you know, minim- minimizing casualties, picking the best path that they can, mm-hmm. making the best choice they can sure yeah but still killing people because yeah, that's, yeah. that's their job that's that's their job yeah but you know uh given the choice you know they will make a choice even if both are bad choices they will choose one of the choices mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. the hero will yeah. make the third choice <laughs> yeah. or we'll just go i'm yeah. not doing either yeah he'll find a different way so like once again in fallout there's a scene where he has the imaginary scene of the of the uh, getting the guy who's Solomon Kane or whatever his name is, the, the the villain from the last movie. Okay. So we see the plan that the villains are put together that involves shooting a lot of policemen and stuff like that. And, and Ethan has to also kill someone in his in the fantasy version because there's no way he can go through this without having to uh, compromise his, his principles. So instead, he creates a plan, an unexpected plan. No one knows he's going to do this, but he does it anyway, that minimizes... Or actually negates all possibility of the police being killed in this in this incident, you know. And so that's the third way, you know. He creates. He, yeah. he still has to do it because he has. There's things that you know because uh, of the larger pictures, you know, other larger picture goals. He still has to get through this, but he does it in a way that you know he doesn't just go, oh well, I've got to do it, so I'm, I'll just kill a bunch of cops and we'll we'll get this guy out of here, which is what this other movie would do, and it would be done in the most ineptly mayhemic way that you're just like, oh, this is not even. It's even fun watching this because it's it's just it's this endless noise and and nothing nothingness. There's nothing cool about it. You don't like anyone. You're not rooting for anybody. There's it's just this professionalism writ large, and you're just like ugh, who cares? Yeah. Netflix movies, and I think we've gone over this a little bit before, are like beautiful establishing shots. What an amazing city! Oh my gosh, it's gorgeous. Tight location. We're just going to go into a room. <laughs> Yeah, tight room, tight room. I have a discussion. As have a gray, long, and as gray as possible. Yeah, have a have a long talk. Yeah. And then we're gonna do some martial arts up close, up tight, up tight. <laughs> tight martial arts. Slap, 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 slap. What's happening? Yeah. I don't know. Do you know? Yeah, we live in a world where Jackie Chan never existed. And it's like slap, 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 slap. And uh, and then a couple of big budget like car chasey type things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that have you don't care. Like you just don't care. You know, I, I wasn't a big fan of uh, Baby Driver, but I've got to admit, like it's uh, when you see someone trying to do practical effects. Yeah. You know, uh, as opposed to this kind of just like <laughs> hot nonsense. Like you know, yeah. no innocents are going to be run over for sure in this at all yeah even though they're going through busy streets and doing those things it's like you know the rules yeah you know and this is the thing it's all rubber this again like uh, jordan peele knows you know the rules of horror movies you know the rules of horror movies this is why these movies are called what they're called Mm -hmm. you know because they're a play on they're they're basically both this one uh nope and uh, get out are both based on uh, an old eddie murphy bit which is, uh, you know, uh, why you don't see black people in horror movies. Because black people in horror movies, it's like, oh, it's a beautiful house. You know, uh, it's a wonderful house. You know, uh, get out. Nope. Uh, we're, we're out. <laughs> and then they, they don't stay in the oh, house for the rest it's of It's like he didn't see himself in uh, The Haunted Mansion. Mm, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Things change for uh, Eddie Murphy uh, uh, later on. But, they, but, but he knows that you know what a horror movie is. Yeah. So I'm going to pull some twists on you mm-hmm. because I respect you. 
Whereas this movie seems to go, yeah, you, you like this, right? Yeah, but you got to do a twist. You got to do an angle. Like, since we know this, yeah. So then even, what? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't demand twists. Like, I don't. Well, I'm perfectly happy. Something. I'm perfectly happy with like the same movie you've seen already. The same movie I've seen already, just done well. Like, well, why don't you watch that movie again then instead of because I've already seen it. Yeah, well, you're seeing it again. Sure, just with different faces. That's fine. The one thing I liked make uh, the characters interesting, and is if you make if you have characterizations, you can tell the same story because it's going to be different because the characters are different. You know, they make it different. Yeah, but they don't. If you know, you know who everyone's safe, and you know what has to happen, and you know how it happens, and you know they're not going to kill the kid, and they're not going to kill this person. Well, they're not going to do that anyway. What do you mean? Like, are you saying that they should kill the kid in a movie? That's a twist that people want. I don't think people want to see that. It's a, if it was a European movie, they would. <laughs> okay. You know, you you do that, sure. and then and then sure. the motivation like changes. we've all we've all seen Babar. Yeah, Babar will like uh, kill a kid in a second. Yeah, you just freak out. He's a big elephant. What do you think is gonna happen? There was one. Yeah, there was one scene I really liked uh, where, and again, it's not even a scene. It's just something you did where where uh, Ryan uh, Gosling yeah. is on top of a bus. And uh, he's he he doesn't know where the bad guys are in the bus because he's on the bus. Yeah. Then looks over at a reflective surface mm-hmm. and he's like, "Now I know where they are." And he's shooting them while looking at the mirrored windows. Yeah, yeah. That are over and like that's clever. Yeah. I've never seen that, and it took me out of the film for a second because I went like, "Oh, I've never seen that. That's really clever. I should be doing <laughs> this through most of this movie." <laughs> like that's what like this guy's the best. Great. He should be figuring shit out that I would not figure out. Mm. But instead, it's just like, you know, he's jumping to the next thing and hopefully he'll land correctly and just shoot everybody because he really gets shot. I don't know. It's fine. That person can't get hurt. That person can't get hurt. Yeah. No one's got a motivation beyond uh, what they're doing right now. No one's got a hobby. No one cares about anything. You know, that's the one nice thing about James Bond is he'll, t- you know, for all that there's always like an extra 45 minutes that shouldn't be in the damn movie. He always has dick around time. Yeah. Where it's just like he's going to tell you some trivia about football or how to make a proper martini or you know, how to play this game. He'll, he'll do something because he gives a shit about things. Yeah. It's interesting. And, uh, you know, even though it takes a little bit longer. <laughs> You object to that, but like you know, Ryan likes watermelon gum, mm-hmm. and what else? Nothing. Yeah, he's got to save some. some and then you goal. see like another actor and go like, "Oh, I recognize that guy." Well, I know what's going to happen to them because <laughs> you know you just know you just know. And here we go. Yeah, yeah. Netflix, come on, man, Stra- uh, straighten yourself out, uh, mix it up a bit, fix fix this. I think and- the other problem is is. Um, I don't think television is like the best place for those kind of movies. Like, do you think the Gray Man would have done well in the theater? I don't think the Gray Man would have done well in the theater. But I think it would have looked better in the theater than what I'm watching on my television screen. Okay. I don't have a great television screen to be honest, but you know, it just it's a big movie. It should be big. Mm. You know, I felt the same way. I watched a little bit of that Michael Bay film that's on there with Ryan uh, Reynolds. Man, it's all the Ryans, eh? And all the Ryans. Okay, which one is this? I've probably seen it. I don't know. It's one where they like pretend they're dead, and then they have like a team that does stuff. Okay. Do you know that one? <laughs> I well. well it opens up with a big. It opens up with a big car car chase thing, where um, I probably have and uh, like James Franco's like brother's driving. I know. I know. He just did that movie. At least like Ryan Reynolds with uh, with The Rock and uh, Gal Gadot. It's not that one, right? No, no. Okay, all right. That wasn't so great either. No, this was. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now. Deep Six or something. It had like a number in it. Anyway, so 
but you know, it's like a big giant car chase at the beginning of the film, and there's a lot of stuff happening, and it's you know a lot of mayhem. It's a it's a Michael Bay film, so it's Bayhem, right? But, oh, Bayhem's not a good a bad name. And then oh, it's not mine. It's a thingy. Any, it's a common internet description. Okay, so we got Free Guy, Red Notice, Adam Project, uh, Spirited, Six Underground. Six Underground. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I watched that opening sequence. And then I was like, eh, I don't want to watch the rest, rest of the movie. This would be. I guess it would be fun in the theater. I guess a, a little. I, I'm not a big Michael Bay fan. I find his movies very um, frustrating. Mm-hmm. But this is not fun to watch on a television because it's just, you know. I guess, I guess it's, if that's the only way you can watch it, I guess it's fine. But it just feels like I don't know. Just uh, I don't know. I don't. Know, I don't know if Netflix knows what they're doing anymore, mm. or if they're just thrashing around like a like a dying creature. Yeah, I am. I'm looking forward to this uh, new B.J. Novak film. I think it's called Vengeance. That's in theater, so. Yeah. I am, too. Yeah. Uh, just because everything I've seen him do that he's written, uh, I've been impressed with. And he oh. seems to really be trying. Like, even a kid's book he did mm. called The Book Without uh, Pictures. It's very good and very funny. And and I just, again. Wait, wait a second. Was the picture at the end of the story? No. There was no picture. It was just, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of setups <laughs> for jokes it's it's great because if a parent is reading the book, they're going to get some good laughs mm. out of it from the for the kids because it's it makes the reader very funny. Mm. Um, but yeah, he also had like a TV show. I forget what it was called, like the issue or the something. The premise that was it. That was also very very good. And he's just one of these guys that you can tell gives a fuck. And I am such a huge fan of give a fuck <laughs> that like when you go into a movie and you can see from the first scene. Yeah, and that's the same thing with like a Jordan Peele movie. Like you, you start nope and just go like, mm. okay, yeah, he gives a fuck. He gives yeah. a fuck. We're gonna be all right. <laughs> it's gonna be fine. It's gonna start with something really interesting. Yeah, this is really interesting off the top. I get the feeling that he knows. It's kind of cryptic, but it'll explain itself. I'm sure. I'm sure, and you know what? I bet he knows what the ending's gonna be. I bet he's not, you know, uh, writing the movie while the movie's being made. <laughs> I bet he's got the idea behind yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I'm just a big fan of Give a Fuck. It's one of the reasons I like Edgar Wright. Is like, even when I don't like an Edgar Wright movie, I'm still like, well, you clearly give a fuck and you're trying your best here. Yeah. So We're a little bit different. I thought Baby Driver was pretty good. I don't think it was as good as his <laughs> other films. But but I didn't really like The Last Night in Soho very much. Mm. I thought it was a bit a mess of a movie. But, but um, yeah. Again, I, I had not seen that type of movie before. Mm. So I was like, this seems new, <laughs> yes. you know, to me. So it also, again, that it, gives me... It a, also has to entertain me. It can't just be novelty. Yeah. It has to be entertaining. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was a movie where I watched it. I was just like, who is this movie for? <laughs> but okay, whatever. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's so confidently made. So obviously so much care is put into it. So much thought is put into it. You know, that that it's there on the screen for you. Even if it's not to your taste or whatever, you know that, you know, it's not just, it's not just a hack job where people just, let's get it over with. Just buy numbers. I even try, like right now, I'm, I'm putting together two things. One's a live show. Uh, and uh, and I know that the first scene that I've got to put into this live show has got to be letting people know we care. And that okay. it's, they're in good hands. We know what we're doing, mm-hmm. and this is going to be more than they expect, which is what I always try to do with shows that I do. Is like It's going to be more than you expect. You're going to be a bit surprised, but we know what we're doing. It's going to be all right. Uh, and and because that's what I care about when I go into shows. When I go into shows and just like the very first things that I see are just kind of half-assed, it's just, well, 
you don't care about this, you're not gonna care about the rest of it, and you don't care. So if you don't care, why do I care? Something good might happen, it's possible. Something good enough might happen that people are happy, but like, come on, what's the first thing we see? What do, what do we see when we walk in the doors? Uh, what's the experience like? What's, what's, what's on the stage? What's the music playing? And if it's just like, that's generic. It's like, okay, well, this is everywhere. Why, why would I be specifically here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just really, really, really bugs me when I, when I go to anything like that. Or even like, especially like when I go to uh, see like uh, the Fringe Festival and I see a bunch of shows in a row, then I'm just like, you can control every element of this right now, especially the music. And it's like, what have you got playing? Just random music. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Smarten up. Yeah. Make a mix Start it. strong. End strong. Give me something in the middle I didn't expect. I was telling uh, Pia last night, because again, I'm putting together a show that's about an hour long, and she, she was saying that, uh, oh, it's like a fringe show. It's like, it's not quite like a fringe show, but I'm probably going to do the trick that a fringe show does. Uh, because I heard about a trick that the Edinburgh Fringe shows do, and did I t- tell you about this? No. Okay. I'm telling uh, everyone about this. Uh, at the okay, so Edmonton Fringe Festival is the biggest fringe festival in the world. The and Ed- Edmonton? Ed- no, Ed- Edinburgh. Okay, you said Edmonton, but Edmonton is the second. Is that Maybe right? People just get that confused All and right. they go to Edmonton uh, <laughs> by mistake. Okay. But the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is like the biggest one. Yeah. And so like a lot of uh, comedians go there and mm-hmm. a lot of American comedians go there. And when they go there, they'll do their set, an hour long set and go like, oh, it just didn't work. Why? Why? And these UK ones uh, do so well. And here's what they do. The difference is at the 40 minute mark, you've got to kill your father. It's time to kill your dad. Okay. Because they will, they will laugh for 40 minutes and then they're laughed out. Then that's just like okay. Sure, okay. Yeah, now Makes I need sense. something I need something else. And so that's the moment where you just go And that's when I went home and my mum told me that my dad was dead. And that changed everything. And then I had to go work at Mill. And then <laughs> you know, and then you go you start yeah. building back up your, your stand up thing. And then when you get near the end, uh, they will have forgotten that your dad died. And then you do a thing and I think my dad would like that a lot. And I was like, oh, right, his dad. <laughs> and I was like, yay. And then it's like that's uh, everyone gets up to cheer and you get a standing ovation. Yeah. Like, that was good. And then you also you tie in something from sure. the beginning to the end. And, and that's, and you go like, the whole thing had a theme. Yeah. It was a theme and his dad died. And it was all about his dad. And it was a tribute to his dad. Oh, his dad. And there you go. It's great. Interesting. Yeah. Whereas, You're uh, making me think, sorry, just making right. me think of um, one of those Chappelle specials where he, he starts off with a, I don't want to say it, but he starts with a very crude comment. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm going to make you laugh at this later. Yeah. And then, yeah, partway through the show, gets very down, very sure, sad, sure, tells sure. a very sad, tragic story. Yeah. Brings it around to the end, says that, and you're like, fuck yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You did it. Yeah, it's a little magic <laughs> trick. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's not a twist, They've though. They've been doing it? it in Europe for years. But it's not a twist, is it? How do you mean twist? So when you say that you want like something different, do you are you okay with them using a similar template to tell you the story, or do you want them to twist a template as well? Well, you know, okay, what I'm going to be, I know what I'm going to do for this, yeah. which is not kill my dad. Um, <laughs> though my dad has been has been dead for a number of years. I yes, could. You could. Uh, but uh, no, it, it, I've got to do something at that point that has some uh, grounding in reality and mm-hmm. has some emotion and has yeah. some purpose. Yeah. And I think I've got the thing that would work in the show for that, that would work. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we do in this show, right? We're hilarious for the first 
five yeah. minutes and then seven minutes of the show yeah then i they bitch about my concussion and uh and you that. Ki- that's right you kill your kill, kill the mood you, you kill the mood can't kill our fathers but we do kill our, kill the mood yeah and then the end of the show we do trivia about uh, a show from the 70s <laughs> that involved vampires and people go what and like all right before, bring it all before, back you, before you question that yeah here's some letters <laughs> Where we ask people their favorite types of gum. What? We bring it all back around again. That's right. And then bring it all back and yeah. bring it all back. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, North American uh, stand-ups, whew, nah, it doesn't work out for them. Because they're going, I'm just going to get funnier. And they get more intense. Mm. And it's like, oh, now you're trying too hard. Mm. Well, we can't mm. respect mm. that. The end. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I found like when I was doing stand-up in... Then they say, fuck the Irish. Fuck the Irish. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fuck the Irish moment. Uh, for, for sure. Uh, but that's one thing that's interesting uh, with North American stand-ups versus UK audiences, mm. which is the UK audience is going to heckle you. They will. Mm. They're going to say some shit. <laughs> How do you handle this? Are you going to try and dominate them? Or are you going to try and laugh at it? And that might encourage them to do more. Or, you know, do you think you can handle, you know, this heckler who knows how to heckle? <laughs> Probably better than any heckler you've ever met before in your life. Yeah. And and my way of going about it is uh, is the not giving a fuckitude. Mm-hmm. It's just like I, I can show them that it doesn't bother me, and and it's fine. And it's just okay. What? Mm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I I come from a place where we don't do that, so that's confusing and odd to me. Do, do you have anything else you want to say? Are we good now? Good. Then I'm going to continue with what I do. Thank you. I appreciate your hospitality. And here we go. And we're back into it and try to be honest and straight with them. And they yeah. they would seem to respect that. But if you show that you're like, oh, really sweating or nervous or you're fighting them too much or yeah. you're being disrespectful for them, you'll lose them in a fucking heartbeat. Huh. Yeah. And then you've lost them for good. And that's yeah. what happens in Edmonton. All, oh, not Edmonton. Edinburgh all the time. <laughs> Probably in Edmonton, too. Edmonton's terrible. Damn them right? for being so close together in, in, in name. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Latitude. Yes, mm. so much. Yeah, they give you no latitude at all. Those audiences. <laughs> You're right. You draw a line between them. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Who's your, who's your favorite stand-up? Who's my favorite stand-up? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's got to be Dave Chappelle. <laughs> <laughs> Someone got trolled. Uh, let me just think. My favorite stand-up. You you who you tell me your favorite stand-up? Or not? Maria Bamford. Yes, like I can see. Yeah, you look you like her a lot. I do like her a lot. Um, then I'm going probably Paul F. Tompkins. Uh, I, I love early Paul F. Tompkins. Mm-hmm. I'm less, I'm less into storytelling Paul F. Tompkins. I love, I love when he's telling bits. I just think the peanut peanut brittle one is just such a classic mm-hmm. bit of storytelling and construction of a of a bit. I think that's his album, Personal. That's right. It's a pretty perfect album. It is a per- pretty perfect album, and I think, and I'm once again, maybe he hasn't given permission, but it's not someone I hear. Oh. No, they do play a little bit of impersonal on the radio. But, you know, kind of like Patton Oswalt, where they've sort of taken on this sort of storyteller, long-form narration mm-hmm. that is kind of more wryly chucklesome than it is like something you really belly laugh at. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really work in the radio format because they want short, sharp shocks. They don't want a long narrative that builds and then has a payoff at the end, you know. That's not the. They don't want. I'm going to make you laugh with this sentence, like in an hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I mean, I've had favorite stand-ups over time. 
But I, I'm not an expert like Lisa, who listens to stand up every day. Um, I'm gonna oh, like s- on the radio? Yes, she listens every. She listens all the time. It's become her radio station. The the just make him laugh station. Oh, nice. And she really she really likes it. I mean, that's that's why we went and saw that Nate Bergazzi, uh at the Queenie a little while ago. It's because she heard him on the radio. Okay, all right. And you like that's your reaction, yeah? Because he's kind of yeah. He's just a working sure. working comic. He's not like a big name, but he's a very good. He's very good at what he does. It's a good storyteller. Has good jokes. Yeah, you know? I'm trying to think of like the name of the fellow who co-created the Chappelle Show. <coughs> Neil, uh, Neil Brennan. Neil, Neil Brennan. He's at uh, the Rio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think might be now. Yeah. Uh, I think he may be one of my favorite. Sen- I've actually never seen him. He's very good. He's very very good. Yeah. I saw him on. Uh, he was on. I just watched him on comedians in cars drinking coffee. Okay. Because I hadn't bothered to watch him because I didn't know who he was, but then I saw he was in, in town, so I was like, oh, maybe I should watch this and see what he's like. And he's kind of like he's kind of like Jerry Seinfeld. They're both kind of like cold, very analytical, yeah. very much about comedy as, as a joke machine, yeah. as a yeah, not just a joke machine, but as a as like the ultimate expression of human life. Sound of comedy. That's it. There's no way you can go but beyond that. Poetry, fuck it. <laughs> Art, get it out of here. Get it out of my face. Plays, playwriting. Shakespeare. Yeah, fuck that garbage. Nope. One guy, one microphone. An audience that's the Nate Plus Ultra of uh, <laughs> of of all of human achievement, which is you know it's fine. I mean, if you're a big fan of it, you know it's great. But it just feels it's sort of a limited viewpoint, sort of a tunnel <laughs> yeah. vision in a way that gives Jerry Seinfeld a bit of an unpleasant quality that he is so obsessed with this idea that there's nothing, there's no human worthy of his attention except for other stand-up comics. Which comes up very strongly in things he says, like yeah. he's talking to Martin Short. I was, I went through a few of them the other night. Lisa and I were watching a bunch. Did you end up wanting uh, diner food by the end of it? Because mm-hmm. I really want fries after I watch oh, a bunch right? of those. Just like, damn it, those fries look really. Good. <laughs> no, I never. Do. I, mean, I also like want coffee. I know you don't. Want I guess because of the coffee part of it, it's kind of off-putting to me. So yeah. I never, I never feel like the eating is that, that great. But yeah, so we, I watched the Martin Short one, and and Martin Short, you know, is a guy who has just lived a kind of a normalish life. With a family who's had a very normal life in a normalish suburb in Los Angeles, which is absolutely incomprehensible to Jerry Seinfeld, that he could be friends with people who just had jobs, <laughs> and you know were you know were the baseball coach of their kids' team or whatever, or were people that he knew from their ch- children's lives or just part of their lives. Right. And it's just incomprehensible that they could be in any way interesting to Seinfeld. It's very it's kind of it's kind of curious. I mean, and yet Martin Short, like of all, almost all the. Uh... You know, uh, SCTV years is the most show busy. Yes, the most uh, uh, loving of showbiz in that world. Yeah, and he does. I mean, he does kind of agree with him a little bit, just in the sense that yes, they're not showbiz, which is the greatest thing. But he doesn't think that they're inhuman. You know, uh, things that are just to be ignored is, is beyond. I mean, I can understand that. Yeah, and he's gone through you know tragedy with the death of his wife. You know, Martin Who, Short. Martin Short's wife died. Yeah, yeah. When? Like, uh, is that recent? He was talking about his uh, wife in two thousand ten. She died of cancer in 2010. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, they were married uh, for uh, 30 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he talks about her. He talks about a time that I guess a bunch of their friends went to see him perform. Yeah. Uh, Martin Short perform, and then they came backstage after the show. Didn't say anything about the show. Nothing. Didn't have any words to say to him about his act or anything, his performance. So they went out for dinner after, like, you know, as a group of friends and stuff like that. And when it came down to pay... Martin Short insisted on paying, you know. He said, even though I knew my wife would be mad at me, I paid, paid for everyone. I paid, picked up the whole tab. 
And we're driving home. I was like, why would you pay for all these people? Because I'm going to make them, whoops, I'm going to make them, you know, appreciate the fact that I, that was paid for by the show. Like, you just couldn't understand, like, how they could not. And I guess, to, and I think the people that don't do it, you know, it would be like if I built you a house. And then, you know, when you came and looked at the house, you're like, wow, oh, what a great job you did. You just did the most amazing, you know, it just... Like, no one's going to go to and praise you at your job. Like, it just feels weird to praise someone at their job. And that's just a job to people. Yeah. They don't think of it in any other way. You like, know? you want to, or you you are impressed. Yeah. But you don't want to be, like, a fan. Yeah. Oh, that's another part fan. of it, too. Yeah, you're a friend. You know, can't be, like, can't be fanning yeah. out over them. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's weird. A, it's a weird. It's a weird bit. He's, yeah, that's interesting. That really is interesting. Like, Seinfeld, uh, you know... Uh, it makes the persona makes sense when you were younger, and it's mm-hmm. like he's complaining about my new show. Okay, well, it's just a regular guy in New York who you know is talking about his socks and laundry and stuff. Like, all right, that makes sense. But then, like you know, people know that you're one of the richest people, richest entertainers there are. Yeah, yeah. And you can have anything you want, and like all the minute problems that we would think of should be washed away with this money. And it's like, oh, you still got that, like, edge of just, like, everything's a little annoying. Yeah. And it's like, it's, you're is... in the fanciest car. Yeah, yeah. You can get any car you want. Like, sure. anything. And, like, here's your celebrity nice. friend. And you're going into a diner. And you're having the drink you like. And you're mm-hmm. goofing with friends. And it's like, what do you got to complain about? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and, and like, if you were a regular person, I could see how you could complain about some things. But you don't come across as a regular person. You come across as kind of like a robot. You know? And it's like, what's the robot complaining about? Yeah, yeah. Well, the robot's complaining about things that you complain about so that you will go, you'll laugh at recognition. Yeah. It's the AI. AI has learned very well. The thing is, oh, there's another funny part with the Martin Short one I'll just say very quick, which is that they're driving and Jerry sees a car wash place. It's like, oh, a car wash. And then they... Sh- they Cut to a picture of the sign, and it's seventeen ninety nine for a car wash. He's like seventeen ninety nine, and Martin Short's like, "Is that a lot?" And he goes, "You're living in a dream world of residuals." <laughs> Seinfeld says to him, and it's funny because you can you can be a billionaire like Jerry Seinfeld, yeah, but your understanding of the world is from pre billionaire. So when you look at things, you look at them as a person who spent many years, a decade or more working a comedy yeah. circuit, you know, counting your pennies and making you know making how much it work. Milk is. Yeah. You know, like he says, like someone someone asks Jerry Sunfield, one of them, I can't remember which one, he says, Did you ever feel like a, a starving artist or a struggling artist? And he goes, Well in those days you could do a couple of shows and make sixty five dollars and that would get you through the week. So I never felt like I was struggling. I always felt like I was doing something I enjoyed and I always got paid for it. And I felt like I was getting enough. You know, and obviously that's not a great deal of money, but it was enough for him that, but at the same time, you had to like make it, make that money count. You know, you couldn't go and pay $18 for a car wash. You had to make it work, you know. And so in his mind, $18 for a car wash is outrageous. Outrageous that they would be asking that. But of course, this is Hollywood where people make a lot of money. So $18 is not that much money. And your car is worth so much money. But it's not his car. That's the other thing about the show. No, all, no, no. All I those can... cars that he drives and are all loners. Oh, absolutely. People show know. Know. I understand. And that makes 100% sense, too. Because yeah. then if someone wants to sell that car, yeah. you know, this was the car that was on. Sure. Oh, that was the car that was sure, on. Sure, Yeah, with Chris Rock in it. Oh, shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That works. But the thing is, but like, he's, for... not a, he's not a Jay Leno. He's not buying cars. No, 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 no. But the people yeah. who are spending that much money on their cars being yeah. washed 
have expensive cars. Yeah, yeah. And they don't want to take their car to the $10 car wash. Sure. Unlike Seinfeld. Scrape! Like, they don't want that business. (laughs) It makes, no, that makes makes sense. Yeah, he is a very interesting perspective. Like, it's a very interesting perspective. I know we Mm -hmm. always talk about fly on the wall. But it's like, uh, it's just interesting to hear, like, what do you like now? And Mm -hmm. why were you like that? Like, when you're saying, you know, him, him saying, you know, you make 60 bucks and you're okay. Yeah. And then you think of someone like Jay Leno, uh, who was like homeless. Yeah. Like he was just like, he was like in an alley sleeping behind the, the, the theater, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like you could tell how, you know, he's messed up from that to this day, yeah. got to play psychiatrist. But Jesus Christ, when you say like... You're just playing the home game. Yeah. I'm playing the home game of being a psychiatrist. Yeah. When he's going, I've never touched this money that I made on The Tonight Show. Oh, okay. Because you think you could be homeless again. That yeah. fear is always in your head. Sure, sure. So you can never touch it. You've got to always make sure you have that yeah, safety. Because yeah. you're never, never, never safe. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, Even though I... you're a millionaire many times over, you're never safe. Yeah. And it, yeah, that can mess you up. Like, I mean, I have a friend whose dad died unexpectedly when he was 11 and pretty much stranded the family, the whole family. You know, he was the breadwinner. Yeah. He was, you know, he died without a will. Everything was just put into confusion. Their whole lives became confusing. His mom had to work three jobs. You know, he had to start working as a teenager. His view of money is very different than my view of money. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how comfortable I feel with, like, you know, spending and not being very careful with my finances and stuff like that is totally uh, incomprehensible to him. Where to him, everything has to be carefully counted and kept and and you know, and try and make as much as you can. You have to invest. You got to gotta work this money. You can't just put it in the bank account. It's got to be in a best bank account. You got to get the best credit cards to give you the most money back. You got to blah, 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 blah. Everything is money, money, money for him, which sounds admirable to a degree to be that, you know, be very careful with your money, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, it can also become kind of psychotic, yeah. you know, and I've seen him like on the verge of panic attacks at the idea of having to spend more money than he thought. Sure. You know, and it gets very, very difficult for him. And I know that he broke up with, well, his girlfriend broke up with him because he basically lost it on her because he went through a huge panic attack over going on a trip with her where things started costing more than he thought it was going to cost. And he just could not stop himself from getting violently angry. Not violently angry, but yeah. aggressively angry over what was happening, you know. And uh, and so it can have, like, it's interesting to me, like, that kind of sense of, of uh, like, whereas, whereas to me, like, money is, like, water that you just gaily throw around you know like uh, and that's why i've married a woman who doesn't think look at the world that way <laughs> it's much more careful than i am with this uh, water that i'm so willing to or money that i'm so willing, willing to let it well it, fall through my fingers it's a mindset of like does money serve a purpose or is money the purpose you know it's just like and well, money serves a purpose for him it's security that's know? the thing i mean yeah. that's the thing and when when you have money as serving a purpose it can serve a purpose in two ways or more than that. But yeah. one, obviously, is security. Mm-hmm. And two is, you know, can be power. You yeah, know, yeah. You know, it, it, it's what defines you and defines your worth. It's like, how, how much do you make? All right. Well, that's how good a person you are. Yeah, yeah. That's clear. You know, sure, if you sure. make twice as much, then you're twice as good a person and mm-hmm. twice as valuable to society. And this all makes sense. Yeah. Or money is something that you use to spend. Uh, to, uh, to to do the things you wish to do and achieve the things you wish to do and protect the things you want to protect. Yeah, that all, that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of different perspectives. My grandparents definitely, you know, went through the Depression. So yeah. to them, they realized money could go away in any second. Sure, so sure. always be careful and you're 
never safe. Yeah, yeah. And my parents, I don't think, felt that way. And then their money went away and they weren't safe. Mm, mm. You know, and then my mom had to become a maid. And, uh, you know, and I think that was rough on my dad. Yeah. You know, uh, as he lost his job. Mm. And, and yeah, you know, yeah, it just, uh, it just happens. Mm. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, he's trying, he's trying so hard because he recognizes that he's just working away his kids' lives as well, though, because his kids are getting older. You know, his one son has become a teenager and has become a teenager, you know, so dad isn't in the picture the way he was when, when, they're, when they're little. And so he's like, you know, we need to have life experiences, you know. Yeah. Because I always say, you know, like, yeah, we don't, I said, we, Lisa and I don't have a lot of money. You know, we've been very lucky, obviously, but we've, we've spent a lot of money living fun lives for our, you know, having our kids have, you know, have adventures and having, getting to go places and having experiences and being with us wherever we, whenever they can, you know. And did we somehow raise responsible adults? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck we were doing, how that happened, but it somehow worked out. Yeah. But, um. I think it comes down to love and attention. Oh, that's how we did wrong. Yeah. They were over. They came over last night because we went to see the movie together. We went mm. to saw the Mrs. Harris movie. So was, that was great, by the way. <laughs> Just, it's an aside. Not yeah, important. Yeah. Not important. I was telling Mary that um, her winning the, uh, not winning, but getting into this teaching program, she goes, she phoned during the show and she said, she said, and I suppose you put that on the show. I said, of course I put that on the show because <laughs> people care about you. You know, you've grown up on the show. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you were like, whatever age you were when we started the show, you were, you know, 15 years old or so. Now you're this age. Don't make me do math. But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. They are what they are. And that's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yay. <laughs> yeah, it's very, uh, yeah, I worry about, I worry about my friend in that way. I just like, oh, I hope you can, I hope you can do this. Like, hope you can, he's going on a trip next week going to toronto and then to the maritimes but he already seems to be very on edge about it this is this is why i wish uh, uh both dental and mental health <laughs> was free in canada yeah. along with uh you know other medical things mm-hmm. is because i think it would drastically affect the other medical things <laughs> because it has so much effect on people but mm-hmm. like everyone's got something that's like the yeah. thing they've got to deal with and like like he's not going to go to therapy because it costs money, mm-hmm. and that's this whole fucking thing. Yeah. So of course that's not going to happen. Yeah. And, but he but he clearly needs to like talk to somebody about this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, you know ideally a professional. Yes, it's not, not enough to talk to me because I I can give advice, but it's not. You can give empathy and you and can empathy give perspective, yeah, but yeah, I cannot give like good workarounds or ways to work no. your way through this. Like, I don't, no, you're, not a prof- you're not, not a for doctor me. either. Not for me. Like, I'm not. Yeah. If he's going like, <laughs> I got a bum knee. It's like, Oh, I had a bum knee. Oh, what'd you do? I did this. Okay. Well maybe that'll work for him perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it might not. I mean, there's a chance cause you've got similar experiences and can relate to it. And uh, but like the guy's got to see a doctor and yeah. see the, what, what's the deal with the knee. Yeah. And check it out. And, uh, and we, and we're not able to do that. And that's, uh, just holds so many people back. That's such a drag. Well, even like, um, like I know with Lisa's school, like when I went through therapy, I went, I went through her, pl- her health plan. Right. And so part of that health plan was, uh, visits to a professional, like th- therapist or through counseling for counseling. But, um, yeah, ours does not have that, you know, ours has like, uh, I don't know it has like things that. I don't know. Like, I guess it's more for people who work in a warehouse. Mm-hmm. I guess it's more around that. 
And I can maybe see maybe teachers have more or thought will have more mental health issues than someone working in a warehouse. What could possibly be bothering you? You're just working a, a mundane labor job. But everyone has issues in their everyone. lives. Everyone. So I th- do you think they would offer the, that as the same as they offer, like going to the chiropractor or going, going yeah. for, um, for physiotherapy or whatever? Why not also have like, you know, mental health as part of that? It doesn't make sense. That's, that's so funny. Not... It's like, all right, so you got a job where you're working in a warehouse. Well, what problems could you have? And then you go look at like, how about rich people? Yeah, rich people, what problems could they have? Well, there's people that don't even have work. Oh, so they don't have to work? Well, what problems do they have? <laughs> and it's like, well, I guess nobody has any problems. Yeah, yeah. That's a fair point. Sure, yeah, everyone's, sure. Uh, everyone's fine. Yeah, no, it's totally... It's totally what, are you unrelated. married? What problems do you have? Well, you're divorced. Well, what problems do you have? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, seem, it seem, seems like it's... Uh, yes. Greener greener side of the fence. Uh, well, that's another thing that we've often talked about, me and this person, because he uh, he likes watching Vice... I've talked about this before. He likes watching Vice documentaries where people have terrible lives, you know, compared to us. You know, and he's like, whenever things are going wrong, I just think... About, you know, one of these people that I see in these shows and I think, well, at least not as badly off as that person. But I'm like, yeah, but it's still a problem. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter if it's better than someone else's problem. It's still a problem for you. Like, you still have to deal with the problem and the outcome and whatever emotional elements, whatever emotional fallout there is to it. Like, you still have to deal with that. Like, you yeah. can't you can't just, like, undermine everyone's problems. You know, it says, nothing makes me angrier. Well, lots of people make me angrier. But it, it just makes me upset when people... Like, you know, I love Whit Stillman films. And there's like a, a, a level of, of criticism of those films that's basically, oh, they're rich. They can't have problems. Yeah, you know? rich people never commit suicide. Yeah, that's right. Take, like, a, take, a, take a look. Look at famous yeah. people who committed suicide. See if any of those are rich. What's that? All, all of them. <laughs> oh, that's weird because they don't that's have any weird. problems. Yeah, they shouldn't have any problems. And it's weird. Like, it's just like, a, 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 like, they might be different than yours. You know, there might be different problems than yours, but they're still problems. They still have emotional fallout that affects that person that they have to deal with. Yeah, you they know? can pay the rent. You're yeah, correct. Yeah, and that's important. Mm-hmm. A lot right. of the things that you know, yeah, you know, you've got issues with. Yeah, they can they can cover, but sure. it's a very different sure. uh, different beast. They grew up with a whole different set of pressures on them than 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 we did. You know, and uh, I mean, all the members of the royal family seem happy. Every one of them. Oh. They all seem well balanced. They're happy. They got no issues. <laughs> they don't hurt other people. They're good. They're good. They just like yeah. are like. Hey, it's fun to be in the royal family. Yeah. Wee, wee, wee. Hooray, hooray, hooray. Uh, a smile on all their faces constantly. Sure, sure. Yeah. It's something that's talked about in Metropolitan, the, his first film, which is this idea of failure. And so, yeah, you get this sense of like, yeah, these are prep, preppy kids. They got to go to prep schools and went to, or went to good colleges and stuff like that. But part of that is a sense of going up. You know, my dad was here. I'm going to be above him. Right. That my parents want me to succeed more than they succeeded, you know. And there's, it can become like an impossible sense of ambitions as well. Like, how can you do better than your dad who owns a condo in Manhattan? You know, like, you know, like someone, or like, not even kind of like one of those crazy townhouses or whatever, like, whereas the elevator just stops on your floor. You know, there's no other, there's no other, no other apartments on that floor. It's just yeah. your apartment. And then it goes up to the next, all that floor is an yeah. apartment, you know. Like, how can you, there's a place where that you can't go any higher anymore or that you don't want to try and go higher than that. This is yeah. too much for you, you know. But, oh, I guess I'm going to disappoint my parents. But that's not going to affect me mentally. Don't worry, I'll be fine. 
Yeah, no, everyone has issues. Yeah, yeah, and once and, and once you please your parents, then you're gonna be fine. Oh yeah, once you yeah, as long as you can make once your parents you make happy, them completely happy, yeah. then everything's gonna be just fine. <laughs> Nothing easier than completely happy parents. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll have no other expectations of you. Yeah, it's all great. Yeah, it's all it all works. Uh, so when are you having kids? There's two things I just want to say real fast. Sure. Uh, one, when you're talking about Martin Short, something I really like about um, Only Murders in the Building is seeing uh, two people that are in their 70s uh, as the leads. You know, and again, there's Selma Gomez, and she's really good. Yeah. Is that, is that her name? Selena. Selena, Selena Gomez. Uh, Selma Gomez is someone else, right? Is a famous... Sister name? of uh, Morticia. Oh, my God. I can't even believe you're doing that to me. <laughs> But I like that Steve yeah. Martin and Martin Short. There's still there are jokes about their age that are in there. That's sort of why would I think his name first name is Gomez, not their last name. But anyway, yeah, go on. Maybe they flip the names, you know, for, <laughs> for legal reasons. Um, but uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short, who you know were the three amigos in like '86, uh, yeah, and we're now yeah. in 2022, yeah, and they're doing a show together. And they're still very much themselves. Like, they still have their comedic chops. They yeah. still have their beats. Yeah. They still are both viable characters with emotional range and aren't, you know. It's interesting when when you see, you know, Steve Martin's character uh, as an actor in the show having mm-hmm. to play someone who is his age in the show. And yeah. And they just, like, he's crazy senile. Yeah, yeah. And, and whatnot. And it's like, yeah, that is how they would be dismissed but it is nice just seeing a show where just like yeah they're still themselves and it's just it's really nice to see mm-hmm. martin short is martin short steve martin is, is steve martin yeah and yeah. they're you know the, the show's a little hit and miss for me but uh they're both just like so charming and having so much fun still and that's mm-hmm. really encouraging seeing guys deep into their 70s having yeah. uh having fun i think the show suffers from the need to have 13 episodes Mm-hmm. Or that many episodes, you know, it's like ten, it's ten episodes. Ten episodes, but you know what I mean. Like, there's sometimes where you feel like, oh, you could tighten this up a little bit and it'd be a lot better. But sure. But at the same time, if you make a show with appealing characters who you enjoy being in the company of, mm-hmm. then all the asides and and endless, you know, endless uh, turnarounds and going this way and then coming back again and stuff. So and I'm saying I'm saying the fellas, but like uh, Jane Lynch is also in it and does a really good job and a good Jane turn. Lynch. Yeah, from um, Glee and uh, uh, Julie. Is it only murders in the building? Yeah, you know who I'm talking about? Jane Lynch, tall, very tall, blonde uh, woman. Do you know who I'm talking about when I say yeah. Jane Lynch? Yeah, but who? What, what character is she? She is. Uh, she's Steve Martin's um, uh, double. Oh, that's right. That was in the first season, I'm and sure. it's yeah. now in this season. Oh, okay. I haven't got through all this. Okay, and uh, and spoilers. Uh, and and oh, sorry. Okay. That's fine. Well, I'm also going to spoil that Andrea Martin's in it now. <gasps> And Andrea Martin is great. Oh, she's fantastic. I know. And so it's just like all these people are just oh, like... Oh, I can't yeah. wait for her to be on the show. Because I was just talking about her to Lisa. Because <laughs> I was saying like... I was talking about that God spell. Because Martin... I was talking, I, you know, I watched this Martin Short thing with... Uh, with, um, you know, with uh, Jerry Seinfeld. And, okay, I'll just tell you two two stories. One is uh, Martin Short and, and Steve Martin, of course, have been touring as... Doing like a, an act together. Yeah. And found a great way to do Jim Lee Glick. Where, where Martin Short's almost like a puppet in Steve Martin's hands. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's very bizarre. And they were talking about how sometimes there'll be a, a new joke will come up. And Steve Martin will be very excited about this new joke. <laughs> and he'd be so excited. He'd be like, oh, the audience is going to be so happy when we do this joke. Like, it's just, I can't wait to do this joke. because you know, it's, <laughs> And then they'll do it. And it just gets nothing. <laughs> and they'll look at each other and they'll, they'll crack up, right? Because it's this... <laughs> And then they'll talk about it afterwards. They'll talk about this joke that went nowhere, and they'll just, you know, 
autopsy it to death, but it's really interesting. But also the fact he brought the fact that the Godspell, 1972 Godspell, came up from New York City. Everyone in Toronto wanted to, anyone who was acting in Toronto at that time wanted to be in that play, yeah. guaranteed a year of work. Yeah. So that was, woo. and so everyone everyone applied for it. And yeah, so you got Martin Short. Paul Schaefer. Paul Schaefer. Victor Garber. Andrea Martin. Vic, uh, Gilda Radner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Eugene these, Levy. Eugene Levy. Yeah, Eugene Levy. All these people that were, and I told Lisa that story and she's like, oh, I love Eugene Levy. And I said, oh, he's so great. But Andrea Martin. She's like, who's Andrea Martin? Who's Andrea Martin? But of course, she didn't grow up watching STV the way I did. So, because she had a different life than I did. And it was on at 10.30 at night on CBC. So what are you doing up at 10.30? Come on. Um, on Thursdays. The, 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 the watershed season, as I like to think yeah. of it. The, the post Harold Ramis SCTV that just like blew our minds, right? That made, they just. Like, it's so weird to think that they, SCTV for the longest time, hired by type, as in like, we need one fat guy. We need one good-looking guy. We need one looking good-looking gal. We need one weird-looking gal. And then, mm, I don't know, maybe someone kind of ethnic. And you got, like, <laughs> Eugene Levy, kind of ethnic. Andrea yeah. Martin, kind of weird-looking. Yeah. Catherine O'Hara, good-looking. Yeah. Uh, John Candy is a big guy. Yeah. And I'm not sure who the handsome dude was in in. in, in that, that would have been Joe Flaherty. Could have been Joe Flaherty. Yeah, yeah. He, can play, he can play that. They are. And it's like, that's, mm-hmm. you know, they're all insanely talented, but also definitely hired to fill the spots that those generic characters will, yeah. will do because they've got to rotate these sketches that have been around for decades. I'm going to say, and then, yeah, this, this is obviously you're describing what it would have been a, would have been a second city cast as well, yeah. like cast to type. That's what I mean. So yeah. you're Chris Farley's and people like that who've gone through those, those, those as well, you know, so they, they fit that big guy type, Jim yeah. Belushi, John Belushi. To the yeah. point where it then goes to one person of color. Just one. Just one. Because, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Well. You can double down if you can find a good-looking person of color who's very handsome. Yes. And we can double so. down on that and that'll be fine. But are but they it's funny? It's like so slow-moving. This like, oh, so slow-moving. Are they funny? Yeah. Andrea Martin, of course. Very, very funny. Uh, I've got to bring up a quick um, fly on the wall story that was shocking to me on this week's show. Okay, I haven't listened for a little while. It was uh, well, this was this was interesting. Uh, they had Ellen Cleghorn on. Ellen Cleghorn, black right, black actress, uh, who is now a, a doctor. Uh, in really, something, yeah, doctorate. Um, oh, a doctorate in not medical doctoring, but no. Though her daughter was on the show on a regular basis, and her doctor is a medical doctor. Her daughter is a medical doctor. Yes. Wow. So two oh. doctors. Um, but they were talking about their salary on the show when they started. Yeah, yeah. What? And so I'll tell you this. So Dana Carvey, when he started, his salary was $4,500 per episode. Okay. Okay, and it built up from there, and it got yeah. into the tens of thousands. You mm-hmm. know, man. David Spade, when he started, it was 900 an episode. He was a writer. Yeah. Plus bonuses for being, if you got on the air. Yeah. Uh, or getting sketches on the air. So this is 900, and it went up to about like in the 4,500s, like near the end. Yeah. How much do you think Ellen Cleghorn got when she was starting, going with like Dana Carvey, forty five hundred? Uh, so is that, that's what he started at forty five hundred dollars. Yeah, but it was a smaller cast. Yeah, she was on a bigger cast. Mm-hmm. David Spade nine hundred. So how much do you think Ellen Cleghorn made uh, per she, episode? She was a performer though. She was just a performer, but performers had to write. Okay, like you just didn't get credited for being a, yeah. a writer. Dana Carvey was just a performer as well. Yeah, uh, but he had to write his own stuff for mm-hmm. the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no credit as a writer, but you know you're just a performer. So I'm going to guess that she got fifteen hundred dollars an episode. Okay, uh, it was two hundred forty dollars. What? Really? Yeah. By the time she finished, she was making in the four thousands. Okay. 
by the time she finished, yeah. years later, she was making what Dana Carvey started with. Yeah, yeah. But like, it started at two hundred and forty dollars. You're on wow. Saturday Night Live. Yeah. You're doing sketches with Mick Jagger. You're making yeah. two hundred and forty bucks a show. Yeah, before taxes, living oh in New York City. How could you even afford it? No shit. Go That's on. that was that was a stunner to to hear that. That was that was amazing. Yeah, that's uh, rough. That's rough. So, I mean, that would have been other, other, because she wouldn't have been like, she wasn't ever like a headliner. Like, she was always kind of second, second tier. Yeah, she had a couple of reoccurring characters, but uh, yeah, it was never really a headliner. But she was still on a NBC yeah, TV yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. And you're thinking like, well, Lauren, for sure, is like, Flying in a private jet around the world, mm-hmm. and uh, you know one of the people on the show is making two hundred forty dollars. That's that's incredible to me. Yeah, holy shit! For all the people's you know dreams of just like oh, one day <laughs> being Saturday Live, and then I'll yeah. How she was keeping her head above water was she was doing stand up during the breaks. Okay, and that's how she was padding you know her income. Yeah, to yeah, the point yeah. Where she could you know afford to live. <laughs> For to do the show as a charity, yeah, charity like, Dana, uh, like David Spade saying that he was making nine hundred dollars an episode, he was like really crying poor, yeah, yeah, uh, on that, and it was like, yeah, yeah, that sounded really terrible, and then but she New York, dropped yeah. that bomb, yeah, it was like, oof, <laughs> oof, yeah, wow, that's crazy, yeah, it makes you really wonder what people make now on the show because there's so many people on the show, yeah, yeah, just like, hmm. yeah, I think, and they can sell. They can sell the mystique or the cachet of, of being on the show as part of your pay. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you're not going to make much on this show, but this, your career. Eventually. You're going to make a lot more when you leave. Eventually, yeah. Uh, if you can break out. Yeah, if you can break out and if we don't, you know, restrict you from doing things. That was the thing, like, David Spade was talking about as well was he was offered this, like, uh, a really, you know, prestigious commercial. And, uh, and Lauren said, no, you can't do that. And Dana Carvey had that, too. That's why yeah. Dana, that's why Dana Carvey left. It's because he he wanted to do some movies, but he couldn't do yeah, them movies. and do and do. Yeah, because Dana Carvey mentioned that he uh, he had a thing where like he was going to be like Bob Dylan and not sell out, and not do any commercials, and then many years later was just like, what am I doing? Yeah, he wanted to yeah. do movies. Sure, sure. It's one thing to be Bob Dylan, but don't forget Bob Dylan is making a gajillion dollars in residuals from all the people covering his songs. Right. Whereas he, Chop and Broccoli isn't making those those kind of bucks. No, that, that folk singer Chopping Broccoli is not going to make that kind of movie. <laughs> Plus his song material is a little, not quite as... Yeah, it's limited. Limited, yeah. Broccoli-based yeah. songs. I'm sure those yellow guys are yeah. still uh, raking it in for that one song. And they didn't have that much, yeah. you know, uh, uh, lyrical uh, variety mm-hmm. to what they were doing. I mean, besides... Look, I'm sure they did. To besides uh, Everybody's Stalking, that's about the only song that Broccoli... Uh, Oh, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. We've mentioned uh, Fly Everybody's on the Wall. Everybody's talking at me. Yeah, we've mentioned it again. I have not listened to that show in a while. I've been obsessing over a show called Arden. What's that? It's a scripted... About Jan Arden? It's about Jan Arden. Uh, it's a scripted show that's kind of a parody of Serial. Oh, okay. Uh, combined with... Uh, well, it was a scripted show. So it's a parody of Serial. So they're, they're investigating the murder of, of an actress. Uh, and so it kind of brings in... Uh, as a There's a... Uh, parody character of Karina Longworth from her podcast. I can't remember what it's called now. Do you remember ever remember this or okay. you know it's like a Hollywood yeah. based one. She's and then but also they do a parody of Serial and, and uh, with these two characters who are constantly fighting all the time and 
and you know so it's kind of a it's its own little thing and i i enjoy um radio dramas and radio comedy i like radio stuff so yeah i've been listening you don't to like that. this bullshit that we're doing right now no this is a waste of time yeah waste of everybody's time that. including mine okay well <laughs> thanks for uh listening bye <laughs> so long suckers we, we had the snowbirds go overhead the the other day by the way Oh, you look like uh, we're not recording. We no, recording? no, we're recording. Okay. Uh, we had the snowbirds go ahead. I wasn't here, but... Uh, the snowbirds go over... Over us. Going towards Arizona? It's driving down all the people in motorhomes driving down to... No, just the Canadian, oh. uh, you know, snowbirds flying planes. That's a name for people who leave Canada and go down to the oh, nice so, United States to That's the, ni- that's to the non-racist name. That's a nice one. <laughs> snowbirds. There's worse names. Well, that's uh, what we call ourselves. That. Yeah. The Americans have a different name for us. Yes, they do. Yes. And shame on you for that. No, no, keep it up. Okay. Keep up the good racism. Keep up the... Whatever. Regionalism. Um, I'm thinking of a different word then. <laughs> oh. Nope. That's fine. Okay. After, after the show. Uh, so you had the snowbirds go overhead. That's, that's noisy. Yeah, and they had like a... They were like flanking a fighter jet, apparently. Oh. So, yeah. Well, they are fighter, they're jets as well, I guess, but not... Yeah, but this was like a... Actual... Like a fighter fighter jet. Like an F-22 or... gunny type uh, fighter yeah, jet. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, Pia took some uh, footage of it. It was like, uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be as cool if I didn't know it was going to happen. And it was like, whoa, that'd be a little freaky. But uh, So we were told that the snowbirds were going to be flying overhead. Well, it was kind of connected with the fireworks and stuff. So like oh, they, okay. they flew down and like kind of buzzed the beach a little bit. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. People went in and uh, they flew over here and uh, did their, their snowbird business. Hmm. And uh, and I'm sure the eagles in near here went like, what the hell was that? Yeah. Uh, every Halloween, a place like Twitter is full of a lot of hand wringing about the noise of fireworks and stuff like that, and a lot of people very sad about it and concerned. Does that happen when the fireworks go on? Like when the fireworks festival starts, are people is is it continuate the the hand wringing continues or is it? They don't like what it does to the dogs. Uh-huh. Like, uh huh. Like because everyone's uh, there's a lot of dogs here and they all hate fireworks. The well, dogs then are under the bed yeah. peeing themselves. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, my dogs they're indifferent to it, but uh, I always have been. But I don't know. Maybe I'm so noisy at home all the time that yeah, it's like ugh, whatever. You like walking around yelling, bang, yeah, bang, boom, bang, 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 boom, boom, boom. Make pretend gunshot sounds. <laughs> yeah, and it's just I just thought it was kind of weird. If you if you uh, out there are listeners have pets uh, and you're near fireworks, yeah. uh, how do your pets feel about the fireworks? Yeah. My my cat doesn't mind. Uh, but I know uh, people with uh, yeah, with really dogs, and it's just uh, bad times all the way around. Yeah, our, our it's really put on the thunder shirt and like my, uh, my ride ch- it out. My childhood dog uh, did not like it, but thunder, but thunderstorms also were not great. Mm. Not great as well. And all the letters I wrote to the newspaper about that never never stopped the thunderstorms from yeah. happening. Dear clouds, <laughs> please, stop it! Please stop having yeah. friction from the heat exchange during summertime. Yeah, you would also like write letters against the rain, and you just like throw them off your balcony, like into the sky. Yeah, and, take uh, it, dear rain. When I was a kid, uh, I would sometimes write letters to God in paper airplanes, and I throw them. Really? Yeah, and it was like as long as you don't look at where they land, uh, then they've made it to God. That was what I thought when I was like about six. Were you? Were these like um, just notes? Little prayers, but were they were they like uh, prayers of gratitude, or were they uh, prayers of contemplation? Were they prayers of? Well, you know, as a, as a six year old child, you're nothing but gratitude. 
right? So that's what it, that's what six year old child is all about. So these are very if you remember because you've yes, had them. Yes, it is like it's nothing but like yeah. thank you, father. Thank you. Thank you for everything, father. Thank I you. couldn't ask for anything more. <laughs> oh, would you like this for breakfast? What sustenance, father? Oh, deliciousness, pure deliciousness. When you started saying that, I was thinking to myself, yeah, your kids never thank you for for wiping their bum when they're little, or wouldn't it be weird if they did? But I was wouldn't say, it be weird if they would, tipped you? Wouldn't it be weird if they remembered it? I don't know. That would be like, awful. Like it's like you wipe their ass and then you they give you five bucks. You suddenly That'd curse be a you. Thing. Suddenly curse you. Why kids forget their childhood? Which is that no one wants to remember that. No, like, no you don't want to remember that. My dad bathing me. Blah. Yeah. Yeah. And then thinking like, what age did that stop? That's too old. That's no good. Nine was too late. Uh, no, I think that's fine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't know Listen, either. I'm not opening this can of worms. Once, once the girls could wash their own hair, I, I stepped away. That was it. Yeah, you just throw but them in the right. lake. There is a point where it's going to become it's going to become awkward, and so you have to be like, what? At what point do I not feel comfortable with this anymore? And for me, it was when the girls were teenagers. No, I'm joking, everyone. Much earlier than that. Much earlier, eleven. Once again, nope. There are there, there are worm cans here that I am not. <laughs> I am not cracking open. They're just staying on the shelf. That's fine please. for the for when I need to go fishing. <laughs> No, what? but there is a point like when you know, like, you know, you're just aware, like your daughters are growing up or your kids are growing up and it's just gonna be a point when it's just awkward. And, and I mean, and I think it's also, it's, it's, uh, it's a process, right? Like they can soap themselves up mm-hmm. at some point. So you sure. let them, you let them do that. And then you just come in and you do the hair yeah, because they're still not at hair level yet. They can't quite get that part of it. But once their hair doing their hair then you are done but they could be uh bored and not do it that's the thing and so they don't uh clean it's just like i'm bored don't want to do this it's boring oh yeah yeah sure Double. that's when you throw them in the lake so <laughs> you do it i mean these all these these things all pay off in their own way yeah do you think like if you're a european uh youngster yes uh and you have access to a bidet does that cut the wiping by your parents time down to it, like age-wise, and just like, well, that takes care of that, and I could probably work up a day uh, myself as a young person uh, more than I could uh, this wiping situation. <laughs> feels like, feels like it would. Well, it feels like it's still a wiping situation. Yeah, you got to do a different... little, You got to do a little top up. I understand that. Yeah, but like you know, the this I don't like that we're having this discussion, uh, but it just feels. Here's like a weird. Be... Here's a weird thing. My friend went. Why in... haven't we embraced the bidet back in the 1990s? Yes, I don't know if you remember those those years. The glory years, as I call them. Well, if you can remember them, you weren't there. I'm still going to talk about them. Okay. Uh, my friend went to India with his, with his bud. They were in there for his, this guy was getting married. Nice. I guess if you, it was a pleasure to get married to someone you've never met. And uh, they went there. And my friend brought a suitcase of toilet paper. Because he'd been told they don't use toilet paper there. You, you just got to use like a, a cloth. Steel and, wool. And some water. <laughs> and steel wool. Yeah. And, and a uh, spiky ball made of toothpicks. Don't ask me wow. what it's for, but that's what they do there. Sure. He got some real good information. <laughs> he did. This is before the internet. <laughs> it was sort of starting. You're just starting, that's where but we, not enough to... That's where we learned about the spiky ball made of toothpicks. There wasn't a website called I Heard Something Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and you couldn't like, go in there and like, write yeah. the stupid thing down and see. Okay, all right. So, so. I mean, it was true. Like They, do, they don't use toilet paper in, because it's, it overwhelms the, the sewage system. In, okay. in, it was in a rural area that he was living in. Or staying in, and uh, I just was sort of thinking about that a little while ago. And I was kind of laughing to myself. I was thinking, like here we're getting so concerned about 
oh, I'm going to this country and they don't have toilet paper. I got to bring my own. I don't want to be wiping with my with cloth, with some water and a cloth. Uh, by the way, I'm putting in a bidet into my uh, house. Uh, this is the newest thing. Everyone's gotten these bidets. Uh, I'm doing that too. Yeah? Because you're, you're dumping the toilet paper thing now to do a water and cloth thing. I don't know if you remember when you were <laughs> so concerned about bringing all the toilet paper to India. But anyway, it's just kind of funny how the culture shifts of uh, things, you know. Because it makes more sense. You know, like when the girls were little, I did uh, cloth diapers. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was way less waste. It was cheaper. And that was important at that time because we didn't have a lot of money. But also, it was, you know, in terms of the environment, it's way better for the environment to just, you know, dispose of the waste into a bucket and then, and then uh, you know, you have to just put up with a kind of a smelly part of your house for about four years or a little longer, depending on how many kids you have. But that's okay. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, but it's just weird. Like, it's just weird that... So it makes sense to me that water in a cloth is better than just us dumping like tons of, of paper down the toilet. Mm-hmm. And into a sewage system, it's already overloaded, and then et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's uh, it's a coming. You know, it's just like right now we're at like the the, uh, the pioneer stage. <laughs> They'll make fun of it on TV shows, yeah, and in movies. There'll be like a bidet scene and some sort of yeah. Dumb and Dumber three, and then we'll accept them as normal and be, everything will be cool. And then uh, that'll be better for the environment. And we'll go like, hey, this was this has been going on for decades and decades and decades. Yeah, we had, plant. yeah, when we were in Italy, we had one in our hotel room. Yeah. And I thought it was a water fountain. That's right. That's that the, I had to kneel on the floor. And that's, the, that's the joke that you always go with. Yeah, it's just like, hey, we got a water fountain here. I did not think it was a water fountain. Yeah. Just the idea that you would like think that something you had to like kneel on the floor and bend over yeah. to get water from. Well, this is obviously a water fountain. Yeah. As as already established in many jokes, so many the water fountain. Yeah, it's the same joke all the time, and that's and I and I used uh, I opened and ended with the joke uh, like that in my uh, Edinburgh uh, French Festival show. <laughs> but there was a really sad bidet at the end. Yeah, it was yeah. just like you know I just wish my dad had had this bidet. Yeah, and that he hadn't died choking on toilet paper. <laughs> the long story of it was I dressed him as a mummy for Halloween, <laughs> and he sneezed, and he sneezed and gasped in, inward, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and people just thought he was still doing the mummy voice. Yeah. <laughs> It was like he was trying to say help, 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 and then like he fell to the ground. There was like, yay, the yeah, mummy's dead. Good. And they're all happy, and then like he's lying on the on the grass, and he's, people still think that's good acting. Yeah, that's really that's how the mummy. Like, this guy's like, a method actor. I can't even see him breathing. And then you know, come the morning, the crows were like pecking at him. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that is good. That is very wow, good. He's really. And then about a month later, people were just like, they should really get rid of that Halloween de- decoration, and someone kicked it. And went, oh, not again. Oh, dear. Yeah. And so and so there we go. Huh. One of the most common ways to die. Yep. Yeah. But I believe he would have enjoyed a bidet. <laughs> and now I'm going to repeat that offensive joke I said off the top. <laughs> yes. Day after bidet. <laughs> day after bidet. Standing ovation. <laughs> <sighs> now, we're talking about mummies. Which leads me to thinking of the undead. Okay. Which uh, leads you to think of uh, Ryan Gosling Vamp- and the Grey Man. Das Vampir. Oh, Das Vampir. Okay. Yes. yes. Uh, the Bloodsucker. The mm-hmm. uh, the Undead. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Count Olaf. Uh, and uh, later Count Dracula. Count Olaf from... Uh... Nosferatu. Oh, I thought it was these uh, Lemony Snicket books. Are they both Count Olaf? He's Count Olaf, yeah. <laughs> I want to see now Nosferatu if I'm getting this right. Yeah. Uh, I feel bad. Uh, yeah, 
Nos- Nosferatu the film. Yes. It's 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 count. It is Count Olaf. I don't right? know. I'm sorry. I don't. I didn't know there was a Count name to his. Okay. All right. Yeah. Max. Uh, Max Shrek. Yes, that's, that's the actor. But uh, that's 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 right. Oh, sorry. Count Orlock. Well, that's something totally different. I, you know, if you'd said that right away, I would have known what you're talking about. Mm, I, I do apologize. Based on Dracula by Bram Stoker. Yes. And yet. And sued. Dracula. And sued. Oh, Sue? Yeah. Did, uh, By the win? Bram Stoker estate. Yes, they had the movies. Uh, movies were all destroyed, but one. Oh. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, what? What? Okay, so some prints survived? Uh, prints survived, yeah. All right, so, because I've seen it. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the prints. That it's out of, I think it's out of, out of uh, copyright anyway. No, no. it's okay. Yeah. All right. I think it's a historical thing. It it's, uh, has some importance rather than... But yes, at the time, it was, they tried to uh, do license... Uh, count, or count, they tried to la- license Dracula from the Bram Stoker estate. They felt it was too expensive. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Murnau decided instead to do their own version uh, as Nosferatu and create their own vampire. But it follows a lot of the beats of the original story because it is based on the original story. Okay. Yeah, he is a vampire from Transylvania, Count Orlock, mm-hmm. uh, known as the Bird of Death. Yes, of course. Uh, feast upon the blood of living humans. And he is believed to be created by... Uh, Belial, the lieutenant demon of Satan. The, the, the lieutenant demon of Satan. Yeah. I'm glad, I mean... They oh, do you, oh I get, they call him lieutenant in hell? Or is it yeah, that's right. They use the British pronunciation in hell. Because it's much more confusing. Because Satan is British. Well, no, it's because... Well, it's because when someone comes to hell and they're like... the devil I am. And they're like, you have to go talk to Belial. And they're like, okay. And then they go, they say, lieutenant Belial. And he's like, I'm sorry, it's lieutenant. What are you, an idiot? He's some sort of... And then, then they're just confused. Is this part of like the hellish experience of like, why is something that's spelled Lou left? What is going on here? Yeah, I don't understand. This is this is hell on earth. And they're like, no, it's hell on hell. It's just like a, another layer of hell in hell. Your social discomfiture mm-hmm. is hilarious to us. And also, by the way, we're going to burn you to death. Yeah, over and over again while you think about what you did. Of course, they call it hilarious. <laughs> They do. And then that is another layer of hell. <laughs> That's right. Dad jokes. Yeah. Another layer Meanwhile, of hell. Meanwhile, Satan is like, oh, I like that joke, I do. Or like a little laugh. Yeah. Uh, carry on damning. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what this is all called. Ah, <laughs> uh, la, 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 And yeah. I say hello with like double L's. Mm. As you would, because hello is spelled that way. But then I put an apostrophe there. Not an apostrophe. I put a little dash there. Yeah. And, know, and it's like hell. Yeah. Uh, looks like jello. There's always room for hello. Sure, sure. Anyway, you got a vampire thing to talk about? I guess I do. All right. Let's, uh, let's mosey on down to the, the town of Collinsport. Nice. And I'm just going to take off my glasses so I can see. Not read. You know, I... I'm going to get a second uh, beverage. Second opinion? You know, I think I made a mistake uh, when I decided I wasn't going to get progressive lenses. I'm going to have to go back and get progressive lenses. Oh, okay. I'm sorry about that. Because uh, I made a mistake and I was wrong. And I admit it. I'm man enough... Unlike Belial, I'm mad enough to admit when I'm I'm wrong. Fair uh, did you want a, a drink from the fridge, or how are you feeling? I'm good, thank All you. All right, uh, I'll be right back. All right, everyone. You know what? Let me tell you a little little story. I have no idea what happened last time when we were talking about this because I don't remember. And I did kind of had to like uh, improvise my notes at the end if you, if you remember the last time. And so I didn't even write anything that I can like sort of read over and <laughs> refresh my memory. But I do believe I do believe we ended with with Barnabas using. The very popular Egyptian Book of the Dead. I know you're thinking Tibetan Book of the Dead. 
you know, Timothy Leary used that to create the, the you know, the acid, the acid manual, the trip where you could like read the Tibetan Book of the Dead or a kind of a version of it that would help you have a good trip when you took LSD. But this is not that book. This is the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which I guess, you, you know, you don't take LSD to. But you use it in order to raise the spirit of a fire demon, I guess, or whatever, whatever Laura Collins is, whatever she is. So, uh, you know what? Actually, I, would, I wouldn't mind a Coke. Oh, okay, I <laughs> <coughs> So I just got a bunch of dust on my throat. I don't know how I did that. <clears throat> Everyone, I'm going to wait for one second. Thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> how cold is that, by the way? Nice, isn't it? Quality, uh, quality amount of cold. Quality coldness. There we go. That's, that's nice for people to hear. Oh, don't worry. I might cut this out if I find it. All right, guys. So Barnabas, using the Egyptian Book of the Dead, raises the spirit of Laura Collins. Uh, as he does so, Quentin Collins arrives at the old house, sees her, reacts, and then for whatever reason, she screams, then disappears. Mm. So things are afoot. Now, let me just turn the page so I can continue reading. Uh, Quentin, apparently, loitering outside. Oh, I'm kind of going into what happened last time. He enters, they said, uh, sees her scream and disappear. And then Quentin has some questions for Barnabas. Questions like, why was she here? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. And but Barnabas, uh, what's actually weird is that his questions have nothing to do with Laura. He doesn't ask any questions about her. His main question is, he wonders, Quentin wonders why so many young women, Rachel, yeah. the nanny, our governess, Angelique, yeah. the witch, and Charity Trask, yeah. last... Why are they also attracted to Barnabas? Yeah, damn right. Yes, explain that. Yes. Barnabas doesn't. Barnabas does not answer. He's not going to give away his secrets. Later on, he'll write a book called uh, "How to Pick Up Women." But I thought he just like just slaps his butt and just goes, <laughs> you "Can't get enough of this caboose." <laughs> He's a master of negging. I think you're too chicken to let me bite your neck. <laughs> when he threatens uh, to inform Julia and Edward that Barnabas is a practitioner of the occult. Barnabas simply laughs it off. He calls his bluff. He says, who's going to believe you over me? I am a respectable young vampire about town. You, he's not that young, you are a uh, well-known uh, rake, hellraiser, and uh, irresponsible person. And not well thought of by your family. <laughs> so Quentin acknowledges, let's give him points for honesty, acknowledges that no one will believe him when he goes to tell the story. So right. Barnabas then suggests that he and Quentin team up, which is, by the way, everyone... One of the greatest moments in the show, when Quentin and Barnabas, the idea of Quentin and Barnabas teaming up together, that is fantastic. Because, okay, here's the thing. When Barnabas appeared as a vampire in the original, you know, way back on the show, way back, way back, it was pretty cool that there's a vampire on your soap opera. That's pretty great. But it kind of starts to fal falter a little bit. But then they bring in Julia Hoffman, the doctor. And for whatever reason, she and Barnabas team up together, and it is a delight, a constant oh, cool. delight. These two liars constantly <laughs> undermining everyone and trying, trying, you know, trying to get their way. It's great. It's fantastic. So it can only be good that Quentin and Barnabas are now teaming up together. Barnabas, notorious liar, you know, always prevaricating, always working an angle. And Quentin, same thing, a womanizer. Yeah. This complete lech stole his brother's wife. I mean, that is that is pretty low. 
So uh, them teaming up together is just endlessly enjoyable to me, the idea of this. So I'm hoping it'll pay off anyway. So, um, yes, yeah, so he just a team up. Quentin tells Barnabas of Laura's death by fire in Alexandria. So he says, I saw her die, and I know she died, because no one could survive what happened to her. Now, Barnabas has promised to tell Quentin what his side of the things, but he does not. He does not at all. Once Quentin tells Barnabas, they realize that the children are in danger from Laura. Won't someone think of the children? Yes, won't they? They, they did, finally. And uh, they leave to confront Laura. They're going to go to the oh, cottage. Good. and, and uh, But at the cottage, Dirk at the cottage, Dirk can hear Laura calling to him, but he, he can't see her. Uh, he can just hear her. And then suddenly she appears. Good old chroma key, everyone. She appears in front of him <laughs> and then faints. Somewhere there's a weatherman without a background. <laughs> uh, Laura awakens and she remembers that Barnabas questioned her. And she mentions seeing Quentin as well. Dirk then lets the existence of Jenny Collins slip. Oh. Now this is a cat. This is a cream for the cat as far as uh, Laura is concerned. Okay. She gets I thought very... you were like, the cat's out of the bag, but it's also cream for the cat that just oh, yes. came out of the bag. Yes, that came out of a, a bag of milk. Okay. This Ooh, is, it's so it's not, a Canadian cat. It's a Canadian cat, and this is the analogy is Canadian. I'm sorry that you didn't pick okay, up on that right, right away. Good. Did I mention the cat's wearing a toque? <laughs> Make more obvious. Oh, that's the Dr. Seuss story. Uh, the, the cat, cat in the, the toque? toque yeah. yeah, that's right. That's a Canadian version. Yeah. Yeah. Un chat, un chat uh, on the toque. Un <laughs> chat on the toque, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, as I say, Laura's very interested in hearing that Jenny Collins is alive and and there, not just somewhere else. Quentin and Barnabas arrive. Okay. Oh, not only that, she's very interested to hear that she's gone cuckoo and probably can be weaponized. <laughs> okay. Quentin and Barnabas arrive. Uh, Laura then puts on an act. Oh, she is so joyful. It's as if she never was called out of her body and then fainted. No, she's great. Everything's cool. Everything's good. Everything's great. What, what do you mean? And then uh, Barnabas... He's doesn't. He's not one thing. He's not buying this, but also he's like, here's a way to needle this this gal. Yeah, yeah. Take the opportunity. Uh, we came to see that portrait. Quentin's interested in seeing that portrait mm. that uh, you know I gave to you, and uh, Laura, who threw it in the fireplace last episode, is like, oh, I wish I could show it to you, but it's out getting cleaned. <laughs> I sent it to a painting cleaner. You know what you do with paintings? Send them out to get cleaned. It's a thing. Um, actually, she sent it out to get reframed. I was denying. Uh, then Quentin and Barnabas leave, uh, with the claim that, uh, that Barnabas is going to show Quentin some rare family volumes, code for something. I wonder what it could be. I don't know. It's a code for him, Mr. Yeah. It's just like, and his etchings. <laughs> Laura hatches a plan to use Jenny against Quentin and Barnabas, but she wants to prepare her first. So let's cut to Jenny. We haven't seen her for a while. Yeah. What's, what's she up to? What's she up to? Oh, it's, she's locked in a room. Oh. Playing with her dolls. Which oh. she calls her babies. Yeah, that's creepy. I don't like that. You don't like it? Nor does she. But they're her babies. Um, sorry. I laughed and then I swallowed Coke. <laughs> that did not feel good. Not at all. Sorry, don't re- sorry for re- laughing at your pain. Don't recommend it. Uh, so yeah, she's in her cell playing with her dolls. Dirk enters. She tells him that Quentin is to be buried that day. She still knows that she killed Quentin. She doesn't know that Quentin is not has been brought back to life through some sort of chicanery on the part of Angelique that we still haven't not t- entirely clear on why she did it or what she's going to get out of it. But uh, Dirk then has to tell her that Quentin is still alive. And Jenny's very upset to hear this, of course. And then uh, Dirk leaves, and then but he leaves the door unlocked. 
but Shane doesn't notice right away. Okay. And then Laura starts talking in Jenny's mind and saying things like, isn't it terrible that Quentin escaped, escaped you? You thought you'd got rid of him, but no, you didn't. He's still out there. He could still hurt people. He could still do bad things. Isn't that too bad? Wouldn't it be nice if the door was unlocked? <laughs> just go outside and maybe find a knife, a nice cute little knife that you could settle down with. Yeah, a nice one. Small. And uh, Call it stabby. So Jenny then follows his advice and leaves her cell. Barnabas and Quentin, they need proof. They need proof that Laura Collins is not a normal person, but a supernatural being of some sort. Barnabas suggests that they ritually invoke her one more time, but he's worried that Laura will strike back at them. Invoke me once, shame on you. Invoke (laughs) me twice. You won't be invoked again. Um, So then, uh, anyway... I'm going to. I just skip part. I kind of. I kind of. I'm really uh, enjoying it this time. I kind of elided some <laughs> scenes together there, so I, I realized. Oh, I already talked about this when I shouldn't have, because I forgot to mention that Jenny was mad at Laura. Okay. When she realizes it's Laura talking to her, she's like, "Screw you, Laura. You stole my husband." But then she's like, "Yeah, but then he did me wrong too. So both of us are mad at him." You know. By the way, knife. <laughs> uh, Quentin apparently entering. Oh wait, sorry, sorry, everyone. I am. I am. I'm bad at this. I forgot to turn the page. There we go. Now I'm better at it. Now I'm great at it. Okay. She wanders out of the cell. She comes up into uh, Collinwood because, you know, let's not build a new set for all this stuff. Let's just use a drawing room. It's her favorite place to do stuff. Yeah. So she comes to the drawing room and where Dirk meets her. He gives her a knife. She's very excited. But then he hears... <laughs> Who wouldn't be? He hears Judith outside and he's like, oh, okay, can't go yet. Which, by the way, there are wind doors doors that are like windows that she could just go outside from but no he locks her in the drawing room and then he goes out and he's kind of standing in front of the doors like you know whistling as judith comes towards him and you know acting put his hands in his pockets whistling and then uh she's like uh hey i want to go in there and he's like oh i, I wouldn't go in there because i just cut one no he doesn't say that <laughs> yeah i'd give it five minutes <laughs> so <laughs> it's ridiculous what am i doing um, you know, they don't have toilet paper in there. But it's... Like at all? In the whole house? <laughs> no, there's no place to put it. <laughs> yeah, there's no place to put it. So Honestly, the... watch the whole series. If you find one roll of toilet paper, I will give you $100. The whole series. To try to find one. You're right. Yeah. Even some going to the bathroom, though. Um, okay, I'm really lost here, everyone. Let me just find my place here. I threw myself off by jumping ahead, and now I can't find... Uh... So, yes. Yeah, so then uh, Judith arrives... And then, so, uh, Dirk stands in front of the door. He's blocking it. He's a real Dirk blocker. And then, uh, Judith then doesn't even go in anyway. She's like, okay, I'm going to boss you around a bit, and then I'm going to go upstairs. So she goes upstairs. But Jenny, who is, of course, supposed to be quiet in here, like, Dirk's like, oh, I'll be quiet, you know, and I'll get rid of her, and then you can come out. Instead, she starts hearing Quentin talking to her. Mm. And just goes around the room stabbing at furniture. And she knocks over a vase of flowers. With Judith here, as she's walking upstairs... Then she's like, oh, something's happening in the drawing room. Better go and see. So she goes down, and she enters the drawing room, and then she stumbles upon a mad woman. A woman, by the way, the woman who plays Jenny is a really big woman, like a big-bodied, big-framed woman. She's tall, and then she's got this hair teased out in this crazy, <laughs> mad cut, and she's got, you know, her eyes are wide. She's brandishing, brandishing a knife. Spent 30 minutes on the band to graph generator. And, and Judith, played by... Um, that woman. <laughs> I can't remember her name now. Anyway, she's not a 
she's like a, one of those kind of small ladies, you know, like tiny, tiny old fashioned actress ladies. So they're yeah. kind of small, bo- small bone, small bodied, yeah. you know, and she walks into this. A Ruth Gordon type. Yeah. And she walks into this, this woman is just like towering and brandishing a knife. And she, uh, you know, she's obviously a little taken aback. And she tells Judith, but she tells Jenny to put down the knife. But Judith, or sorry, Jenny is mad at Judith and says, you know, and for reasons, because, you know, she wasn't wanted in the family when she came as, as Quentin's wife. She was not loved by, by Edward or Judith. So she has some gr- grudges. And that's fine. And so she's, uh, she threatens Judith with, with a knife. But then instead she, um, she whacks her over the head with a candlestick Ooh. and knocks her unconscious. So, which is great because it's like a clue. It's like a clue scenario. She's, yeah, yeah. Judith has been killed with a candlestick in the drawing room. She's not killed. No that, all, that almost seemed like that's a long death. Like to like kill someone with a candlestick? Like how many times do you have to hit them? Yeah. That's, not, a, that's not a one whack thing to do. Well, it depends on the size of the candlestick as well, though. Like, a, Is it like a pewter candlestick, you know, so it's got some weight to it? Uh-huh. Still and all. That's, just a, that's, a, that's a couple of minutes work. <laughs> Same. So unless the candle's lit, in which case you just light the person on fire. Yeah, that's which technically is killing them with a candlestick. I guess All technically. Right. Listen, yeah, if you don't want to be tactical, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't if you run over someone with their car, you wouldn't say, "Oh, I killed them with a seat." You could say you killed them with the tires. Yeah, well, I touched them, but I, I don't know. Is this weird? Well, I guess the fire touched them, but it just feels weird. Candlestick. Yeah. Anyway, Judith is lying motionless on the ground. Oh, okay. But Jenny has become mesmerized by the dagger. She's kind of like holding it and staring at it. It is at this moment that Quentin returns to Collinwood. He opens the door to the drawing room and sees Denny and just as quickly shuts it again. So he opens the door, sees his giant ex-wife, yeah. or current wife, lunatic, holding a knife, and he just closes the door again yeah. and looks around like, what do I do? Yeah, I'd say this is the dialogue I would go with that. Hello! <laughs> and then, goodbye! <laughs> and then close it. <laughs> He's more subtle than that. He doesn't want to be know, even knowing that he was there. Little Remember, boy. he already got stabbed by her once yeah, and yeah. died. And as to say, stabbed me once. Yeah. Shame on true. <laughs> stabbed me twice. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't, goodbye! <laughs> he didn't give any money to Angelique last time. Mm. So you know what that means, right? What's that? No deposit, no return. Uh, so, again. So, weaving the knife around, Jenny <laughs> monologues for a bit before okay. leaving Collinwood. She goes. After she departs, Quentin goes inside and finds Judith up on her feet at this point. He learns that Dirk knew about Jenny, so now he knows that Laura knows about Jenny, and he begins to start smelling something fishy going on. Something's fishy here. Okay. He tells Judith that he's going to personally end the Jenny problem, as he puts it. Outside the old house, Jenny hides her knife and knocks on the door. Okay. Uh, oops, sorry. It says, Jenny, I've got your number. <laughs> Barnabas answers. And I have to say, he is very gentlemanly and kind. He answers the door for mm. someone who is clearly a raving lunatic. She asks to see Quentin, but Barnabas tells her that Quentin is gone. But he, but he says, if you want to check to make sure I'm telling you the truth, you're welcome to come inside and look around. But she does. And she kind of... Eagerly walks in, looking around like, Quentin's here somewhere. I know it is. But he's not. He's not there. Um, then uh, she, uh, sorry, he asked her, he kind of asked her some questions. He asked her if she's lonely at Collinwood. And she says, uh, no, because I have my, my babies. And Barnabas 
corrects her and says, oh, you mean your dolls? And she gets very upset about that, the idea that they're dolls. Then she sees the stairs to the upper story. And she goes to it, and then Barnabas says, oh, if you want to go check upstairs, you're welcome to go up there. And she says, she says, no, that's okay, I don't need to go and check. But then she climbs up the stairs, and she kind of is like looking through, through the, the banister, banister railings, or, or banisters, at Barnabas. And she starts singing like a lullaby. Oh, that's it. Yeah, it's weird. And then she can't remember. She, she can't remember how it goes. And then Barnabas says, I'm sorry, I don't know it either. And she says, oh, I would sing that to my babies. <laughs> and he says, do, do you mean your dolls? And she's like, they're not dolls. Then she wants to go downstairs. And her, for once, he's like, no, you can't go downstairs. Because he doesn't want her to see the coffin, right? So he's like, oh, you can't go downstairs. She's like, why not? I want to go downstairs. He goes, no, no. <laughs> Quinn is not downstairs, believe me. By the way, if you, if you write a lullaby ever, yeah, make sure to write like in brackets, not to be used uh, for, <laughs> for creepy purposes, <laughs> like ghosts or singing to a doll, or you know, any any kind of vengeful spirit, mm-hmm. and sing it at regular speed. Don't sing it real slow, uh, and especially if you're a ghost skipping rope, yeah. don't do that shit. <laughs> we don't want that, and don't teach it to any Victorian little girls. Uh, we don't want that. So just like you sing it, modern day girls, regular speed, yeah. boys too, that's fine. Yeah. But the rest of that shit, no. <laughs> you can sing it to your dog or cat, that's fine. So uh, after he doesn't allow her to go downstairs, she begins to rant in a paranoid way about everyone's out to get her, blah, blah, blah. And she pulls out the knife. Oh, <laughs> argument made. Yes. <laughs> but Barnabas quickly disarms her. And then he throws it into the fireplace. Like, oh. literally just throws a whole knife in the fireplace and says, there, now there's no knife. That's not how knives work. He convinces her, he convinces <laughs> her to come water, upstairs. Sploosh. Yeah. Hey, the knife's back. I guess what it, magic is this? I guess it'd be hard to take it out of that fireplace, though. Once it's in the fireplace. Is it? Well, now there's a fire in there. Yeah, I just said, splash of water in the fireplace. Water, fire's out. Grab the knife. You're grabbing by the handle, which is not hot. Why wouldn't, the knife, why wouldn't the handle be hot? Because it's like probably made of wood or whatnot. Well, the wood is gone, so it's all metal now. Okay, how long is it in there for? Well, it doesn't, like, you have to go get a glass of water. That takes to take you a while, so the wood's going to catch on fire. Oh, we're in a waterless room? Yeah, this is like a living room where the fireplace is. That feels like a thing of water on the table. People <laughs> have a nice drink. <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> the idea that you're throwing a knife in the fireplace <laughs> and now the knife's gone. Yeah. It's like, no, it, no, it's not. But okay. It's no good to her. Okay. She can't use it. She's not Laura. Um, then he convinces her, he says, you know, well, before Quentin comes back, maybe you'd like to make yourself look nicer for him. I can take you upstairs and you can brush your hair and wash your face. And, yeah. and, uh, so he takes her up to Josette's room. And meanwhile, at Collinwood, Judith tries to prevent Quentin from leaving the house. Cause he, cause he has, he's now got a gun, which he's going to use to kill Jenny. Okay. He tells her. At the old house, Barnabas brings Jenny to the... It's like a little uh, makeup table kind of thing. Like a, I don't know what it's called. Is it called a vanity? Whatever, you know, like a place, place where a woman would do her toilet, you know, get to put her makeup on and things. And uh, Jenny's horrified by what she sees in the mirror, but can't see it as her. She says, that's not me. And then she asks, if that's not me, where am I? Which <laughs> is an interesting comment. Mm-hmm. I like it. A mad woman. Anyway, he gives her a comb. and uh, Gives her a couple of knives to comb her hair. Yes, gives her a couple <laughs> of knives. He took her to the fireplace. <laughs> they get hot comb. Well, this, they, the fireplace is, is it is uh, you know ashes upstairs, so he can just pull them out. Yeah, get them to her. Uh, no, he gives her a comb. Then he leaves and he's calling for Magda, which Magda can't be on the show this week. That's not going to happen because we already have like six actors on the show, and you can't have more than that per episode. Yeah. Otherwise, the 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 uh, they couldn't afford. 
Elvis Clyckhorn. <laughs> they just couldn't pay everyone. Yeah. So they're limited each week how many actors can be on the show. So, but it's a it's a weird thing, right? Like, so you're writing the show, you got to be constantly thinking like in terms of recycling sets. Yep. How many actors you could use per episode? Yeah. But keep things moving. Yeah. Keep enough variety so that people don't get bored. Sure. It's uh, interesting. I've uh, I've worked in Canadian television most of my life. This all seems very normal to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so yes. Yeah, so he goes out looking for Magda, and then we see uh, Barn. We see Quentin with his gun. He's talking to Dirk, and he's really mad, and he's accusing him of opening the door. He's like, basically, he's accusing. Him. He doesn't come out and say it. He's just like, I wonder who could have opened the door. Looking pointedly at Dirk, and Dirk's like, Well, it wasn't me. Uh huh. Then we cut back. To Jenny and Barnabas. Barnabas is complimenting her and her beautifully brushed hair. And her hair is ni- nicely brushed out. Nice. And she's got makeup on and stuff like that. And then he opens a, ch- a chest and he offers her a dress. He says, you can wear a dress. A chest of dresses. Yeah. And then the cock crows. So he's got to go. He has to go and get into his co- coffin. So he leaves. And then we we get uh, another scene of Quentin doing something. I can't remember what it was. It doesn't matter. Because they just got to cut back and forth so they can prepare the actors for each part. So then... We cut back to Jenny in the room by herself, and Barnabas has locked the door now. He's locked her in there. Okay. He right, he's left a note for Magda, and then he goes to his coffin. And so then Jenny's in the room. Quentin arrives at the old house, which it's nice that it's nice that Quentin has locked her in the room. But he probably doesn't really know what Quentin plans because he's left the front door unlocked. So Quentin arrives with his gun, and he goes in and he finds the note to Magda, which tells him exactly where Jenny is. And so he goes upstairs. And we see Jenny in there, and she's wearing this beautiful dress. And her hair's all nice, and she looks very nice. She's still kind of cuckoo, but she looks very nice. And then Quentin comes to the door with his gun, Ooh. ready to kill her. He knocks, and then he calls to her. And she comes to the door to answer it. And that's where we'll stop. Oh! This episode, I'm sorry it was such a mess, of Dork Shadows. He throws the gun in the fireplace and goes, hey, now there's no gun. Bang, 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 bang. Yeah. And it's just like that. By the way, um, if you want to get rid of anything, throw it in the fireplace. The, the, actress, the actress who played Jenny and also Eve earlier in, in the run of the show, um, she felt that, you know, her character was crazy looking. Like, she teased out her hair and she wore these crazy kind of goth dresses and really, you know, really went out there. And she just thought, well, you know, and no one will ever know who I am from these shows. Cause, and then she's walking down the street one day and this person goes, oh, aren't you Jenny from uh, Dark Shadows? Because I guess I look like this. I guess I look like a mad woman in real life too. <laughs> anyway. People know. People know. Um, and here's the other things people know. Answers to questions. <gasps> uh, last week we asked Riddler style uh, <laughs> a couple of questions. Yes. Uh, and one of them was: Has there ever been a convincing stand-up uh, performance on TV or in the movies? Also, what film do you think is a successful biopic? There we go. Those are good questions. We're not going to be able to top those this week. I'll tell you that much for free. <laughs> But we also talked a bit about um, uh, the song Football uh, that was done by um, No Fun, the band No Fun. And we also got talking about this uh, odd uh, football game uh, that had uh, records that you could play. And uh, Yes, I only, had, I only had a very vague memory of it, of course, because it was from when I was in elementary school. So right. That was a while ago. Yeah. Uh, so as we've explained, uh, kids from that time have no memory. Um David M. writes, friend of the show, <laughs> band member of No Fun, and I assume football enthusiast, uh, says football was uh, an instrumental written by Chris Phillips, who was the lead guitarist in my first band, BB Black Sheep, 
and later did a lot of recording with me as the turkeys and the pandas, which later morphed into No Fun. It was uh, the opening track on No Fun to Spare, a 90-minute cassette album, which was the source for most of our two vinyl AEPs in 1978 and 79, as well as Mindless Aggression, which was on popular Vancouver Compilation compilation album <laughs> in 1979. Chris didn't uh, play on this recording of the Panda song Football, but as on the original recording, I had the idea to use my football game as a vocal track. It's great. The way the game worked was, the plays for the offense were printed on one side of the disc, which would be handed to your opponent to select a defensive scheme, which was one of several printed on the reverse side of the disc, with the offensive play kept hidden from your opponent. The disc would be inserted into the player with the selected defense at the top of the player. You'd press the disc straight down, and you'd hear the announcer's call, voice call on the play. If you selected a good defense for the selected offensive play, you'd hear the announcer say the play was stopped. But if the defense was not well chosen by the announcer, uh, would, uh, the announcer would call a successful result for the offense. The final touchdown call in the uh, song was the best possible offensive result. If you look closely at the disc on the ad for the game, you can see the black-on-black embossed printing on the little black discs. I still have the discs and the red player box, but don't tell Dave, because <laughs> I would like to blow his mind with it the next time I see him. Have you seen him since this time, Dave, and have you had your mind blown? I have not seen David uh, yet. I plan to see him All right. soon. And uh, the next time you see Dave, you will uh, his mind will have been blown. <laughs> Our good friend Louise writes, My favorite biopic is not really a biopic. Well, that's what we asked for, Louise. She's, she won't play by the rules. She's a maverick. This is her problem. Yes, she's like Tom Cruise. Exactly. Exactly. Like exactly. Tom Cruise. She's a top gun. Anyway, my favorite biopic is not really a biopic, but Bob Fosse's semi-autobiographical movie, All That Jazz. Mm. He had a heart attack while directing the stage musical Chicago and editing the film Lenny. <laughs> and in the movie, Roy Scheider's uh, character, Joe Gideon, had a heart attack while directing a stage musical called NYLA and struggling to edit a movie called The Stand-Up. I get it. Mm -hmm. Cliff Gorman plays the actor who plays The Stand-Up. In the movie Within a Movie, he performs a monologue about the five stages of grief. Gorman does a very convincing job of playing a Lenny Bruce-type comedian, and no wonder he won a Tony for playing Lenny Bruce in the play that Fosse's movie Lenny was based on. Mm -hmm. But the studio wouldn't let him use Cliff Gorman for the film. They wanted a name actor. And they got one. Got Dustin Hoffman. And that's what you get when you do that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but I guess they got what they wanted. Yep, they did. Uh, but Gorman was passed over uh, for the movie in favor of Dustin Hoffman. Oh, thanks for spoiling that, Dave. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Nice one. Not, not commonly known. Really undercutting Louise's point. That's my job. <laughs> the name of the fictional actor in All That Jazz is Davis Newman. You see Newman later in the film uh, visiting Gideon in the hospital saying things like, I've got insight into you. You know what's underneath? The dreadful fear that you're ordinary, not special. It makes you wonder if Hoffman had said something like that to Fosse, but perhaps Fosse is just talking to himself here. Other fictional uh, characters have counterpoints in Fosse's real life. A Michael Bennett, a chorus line type rival director, played by John Lithgow. <laughs> yep. A Stephen Schwartz, Pippin type composer a Gwen Verdon-like ex-wife, mm -hmm. an Anne Reinking-like Reinking current girlfriend, played by Anne Reinking. 
good call there. Yeah. Uh, there's tons of biting satire and brutal inside baseball about theater and show business. A lot of reflection on creativity and mortality. The choreography and editing of the musical numbers is amazing. It's a glimpse it into the mind of the director, mm. unfettered by facts, which makes it more entertaining to me than a traditional biopic. Let me let me interrupt here because well, I'm done, so you're not uh, interrupting. Uh, they've been doing um, they're doing Bob Fosse on the Blank Check podcast, mm. so they're going through his film. It doesn't, doesn't have a huge filmography. I think he only made five movies or so, but um, obviously Cabaret being the biggest one. But I always wanted to see. All that jazz. Ever since I saw it reviewed on Siskel and Ebert, like and at the movies back back mm-hmm. in the old days, and and so I watched Lenny because I, I knew that he's editing a Lenny like movie during All That Jazz, and so I wanted to have that context. So I watched that movie first, and then I was going to watch All That Jazz, and so I looked. You know, I was trying to obviously the first thing you do is look for a version that's streaming on something you have. So it turned out it's on All That Jazz is on the CTV app. Oh, okay. So I started watching there, and I, what I discovered is is that the CTV app is really terrible. Really, the amount of commercials. Well, the amount of commercials is awful. Rep- repetition of commercials. Not that so much. I really can't stand that when it's all one commercial like twenty seven times. Mm. But the problem is, I I it's I got about an hour to, towards the end of the film, and it quit working. It just went into like this death spiral. Mm. This is thing spinning, 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 and it went on for so long that I actually fell asleep. I just dozed off, waiting for the movie you to start were again. I was hypnotized by it. I woke up. I was dressed as a chicken, uh, living five miles away, and I'd married another person. Oh. Yeah. No, that's all that jazz. Why I was dressed as a chicken, I don't know, but that's all that jazz. Oh, but you were fine with marrying another person. That's an interesting thing. No problems with that, but dressing as a chicken was your big problem. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Marrying another person, what, what some sort of moral problem with that? I don't understand. But dressing as a chicken, how odd. So, um, I uh, the next night... This is obviously when I woke up, it was like sometime in the morning, so I was like, oh, I'm going to go to bed. So then the next night I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch this show again. So I started the app, you start the movie, then you're like, oh, let's fast forward to where I, where oh. it stopped. You got to stop at every commercial, commercial break, yeah. watch the fucking commercials, yeah. only to get to where last time, yeah. and it just breaks down again. Yeah. So you went through all that shit, yeah. and you get to see it, so... Yeah, I've been through that garbage. So I was just, I did it a couple of times, and then I just gave up and said... Yeah. And by so, that point, I've watched 15 ads for uh, Skip the Dishes <laughs> with Katy Perry, and I can't anymore. I haven't I even seen can't. those commercials. That's funny. So uh, I am um, very disappointed in the CTV app, put it, to put it mildly. I think I'm going to rent it so I can finish watching it, because I have to say that uh, a few things. One, it further, it further, uh, it further shows that the 70s is the grossest decade. <laughs> Everyone's smoking. Everyone's smoking. He like Bob Fosse himself was like a chain smoker. He likes, you know, would light a cigarette off the cigarette he just finished and continue smoking. And so every scene, Roy Scheider, who plays Bob Fosse or Joe Gideon, the Bob Fosse analog, he uh, always has a cigarette in his mouth. He's talking to people. He's like dancing with people. He's and just like oh, and my and one thing I don't like about smoking is that I don't know if there's a secret. But smokers have terrible breath because it's, you know, it's kind of a rancid thing you're putting in your mouth. And so, yeah, and I'm just like, in my mind, I'm just like, oh, and you got to breathe in. Oh, my God. I guess you would notice because you also smoke, so you all stink together. But yeah, ugh. that's the angle. Yeah. It's just awful. I kind of, I, I could, I had a hard time with that. And then uh, I guess Bob Fosse had a real death fixation. 
So like there's a there's like in between the scenes of his life at this time period, he's also in conversation with a kind of a death like woman who was dressed in white that he's talking to that's in sort of this room of memories. And uh, that's okay. But the dance sequences, oh my god, this one this one they do, it's like it's it's not doing Chicago. He's doing a, a play, a set and play called I think um Louis said that, right? New York, NY that LA. slash LA. But they do this song. It's so it's so good. Like it just it's got that standard Bob Fosse uh choreography, you know, where everyone's sort of strutting with their, their fingers splayed, <laughs> you know, and they do that kind of jerky kind of yeah. motion and it's very you know it's so eff- effective when you get like all those people who really know what they're doing all doing it together because yeah. he you know he doesn't have people working in unison they kind of do their own they have their own part in it and so it but it, as, it, the individuals create this whole that's fantastic but then it has this like second part to it where you know the song fin- ends and everyone's like "Ooh, that's great yeah and he's like oh no we're not done yet the lights go down and then this guy comes around and he's like He's got like a smoke, little, this little smoke machine. He's like, smoke, smoke, smoke. And he's like putting smoke around. And then they turn off the lights and then they have flashlights. Ah. Other, other people. And they start, they're putting on the act, on the dancers. And the dancers start doing this other part, this super sexualized part of the show. And the, one of the backers goes, well, there goes the family audience. But yeah, it's just, oh, it's, it's just fantastic, fantastic. I wish I could have seen further. I've never, you know, it's just one of those things that I've never just had the chance to see it. As I like to see movies, which is as they should be seen. Yeah, you know, and I've always had that problem when I was when I was a kid. Once I realized what TV did to movies, it made it harder for me to want to watch movies. On like, that's one reason I never saw Star Wars a lot as a kid. Like once I saw it in the theater, I never wanted to watch it on TV because I knew it was yeah. this wouldn't be the same. It would be this boxy version of a movie that was big and wide and and fantastic. And so I have to watch this squished up version of this, <laughs> you know, kind of rinky dink version of it. Blech. So that you know that kind of affected um, what I would, want, would watch on TV as a as a teenager and as a um, I guess I learned in junior high this the the true like what, what we were missing um, when I said I think before but it was uh, for a few dollars more there's this, the opens the movie movie opens with like actual banding top and bottom for the credit sequence because it was really widescreen credit sequence and so you're seeing like the movie as it should be and you're like and I was watching I was thinking like I realized oh this is what the movie should look like. It should be this big yeah. wide thing I'm seeing, and then when the movie started, it just goes blomp, <laughs> all that all that banding disappears, and it's just once again, it's like everything's giant, giant faces. All you know, it goes from having long shots, medium shots, and close ups to having only medium shots, close ups, and super close ups after that point. And yeah, so it's just hard to enjoy movies. So I was really looking forward to seeing all that jazz uh, through the CTV app, but. Uh, let me just say I was a little disappointed, but I will finish it. I'm gonna I'm gonna rent it and, and watch it. So Boosie TV. Yes, do better. I mean, it, come on, like, Tubi can do it. Exactly. Uh, Chris Roberts writes, "Love the sports songs top five, which oh. were all new to me. What? All new to him? Oh, that's great. Yeah, all new, all the time. Uh, I'm sorry for forgetting that David already covered this topic. But what was I supposed to do? Check. <laughs> Let's just think of it as a double entry. Oh. Oh, yeah. There we go. Nice call back. Um, and also, check. That's a good sports sports term. Check. Yeah. Do some checking. Right. Do some checking. Uh, let me just say that it's perfectly fine. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just having fun. My kind of fun. That's what he says this this week. Last yeah. week. Oh, last boy. week I was in tears. Last week it was just show. like, before he came in, he was just yeah. yelling at crows outside. Yeah. 
just like, can you believe this? He totally forgot that he did all this sports stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. And the and the crow was like, "Caw, I don't know why. <laughs> you know, he seems to be a fan, but he doesn't yeah. remember all the work I put in. Caw, I don't know. Why are you asking me? <laughs> yes, just yeah. cause. Just cause. That's right. Uh, Regis writes, uh, "Oh, f." Holy mother cow. Is it the 555th episode? Is it? Really? Shit. And I didn't prepare anything. And I haven't found what I'm uh, finished listening to it. Oh, crying emojis. High five. Low five. Down low. Too slow. Anyway, high five for everyone. Regis. See? Five letters, and I bet you didn't know if you properly add the proper numerical values of each letter, you will get 555. That guy's a mad genius. <laughs> I think I think him being distracted with our show is the only thing keeping the world alive. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant man. Uh, Edward Dragansky writes... I'm racking my sweaty brain, ooh, gross, uh, for stand-up performances on film, and all I remember is how incredibly somber Punchline was then. Oh, sure was. I never saw that movie. When I saw it in the in a, in a theater. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I'm I should say I've never seen that movie. All right, I'm happy to watch it with you sometime if you want. I thought I was getting a funny Tom Hanks film. <laughs> it shed a light on how competitive the comedy business can be, something I didn't realize just by watching the funny side of it. I haven't uh, seen Punchline in years. I only remember how it made me feel. Was it convincing? Maybe if Punchline was, in fact, an accurate de- uh, depiction of how dark the world of stand-up comedy can be, there was nothing realistic about the movie Punchline. I said that as someone who was working in a club at the time called Punchlines. <laughs> Here was the one thing that made every stand-up comedian that I knew go, What? As like, all the comedians go in, and they put their stuff in lockers. Huh? Lockers? What? What the hell are you talking about, lockers? <laughs> Who gives enough of a shit about comics to give them lockers? Nope. Did they bring their 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 lunchbox with a thermos as well? Yep. And they had uh, they had like pictures of their crushes up on the inside. They had to uh, punch in as they walked in. Yep. Jim Carrey was just as brilliant performing the stand-up comedy of Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon way back in 1999. I appreciated seeing the film because I grew up watching Kaufman when he was doing all that crazy shit in the 70s and 80s, so it was very convincing because I'd lived through it all. One of the screenwriters on Man on the Moon, Scott Alexander, is a Facebook friend of mine through the Marx Brothers pages. Scott and his writing partner, Larry uh, Karazowski, okay, here we go, Karazowski, have a very successful uh, career writing biopics. A few come to mind. Ed Wood, that's really good. The People vs. Larry Flint, that's really good. And Dolomite is my name, that's really good. Yeah, that's right. I'll use this as a segue into the biopic question by mentioning that Scott and Larry are currently working on a Martin Scorsese biopic of Jerry Garcia with Jonah Hill in the role of Garcia. Hmm, is what I say. Uh, I know nothing (laughs) about The Grateful Dead, so I'll enjoy seeing this film when it's released. Could you uh, get them to pass this on to Martin Scorsese from me? Finish the SCTV uh, documentary. Finish that. Yes. We want to see it. We yes. want to see it while everyone's still alive that's yeah. still alive. Yeah. Okay, so Get on if it. you could. Get on it, Martin. That's right. Quit goofing around Stop and Stop binging all the Marvel movies <laughs> and uh, get working on that. I, w- uh, I just want to say one thing about this idea of a Jerry Garcia film, which is that I hope they choose an era. Like, just make it like a, a part of someone's life, not the whole... Don't want to Elvis it? I just... Well, because, you know, he just... He ends up... Di- he has a heroin addict again, like... 
don't know, it's just not that much fun watching people just sort of disappear up their own ass as a as a junkie. Like, yeah. By the way, hey, movies, uh, you got to do a scene with someone injecting drugs. We don't need the close up. We've seen it. We get it. We understand it. We got it. We understand it. We don't need to see it. We don't need to see it. We don't need to see the needle. We don't need to see the close up. Uh, I don't know. Nope. 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 I we feel. Don't. I feel about it like because part of part of like I haven't talked to heroin addicts. Like part of the thrill to them isn't just the drugs. It is the injecting. Mm-hmm. Like the whole needle culture part of it is really important to them. And a lot of them will talk about like the idea of the flag, which is when the blood comes mm-hmm. into the into the drugs before you sure. inject it. Yep. Like that to them is like the, the real thrill of it. Uh, and so I do kind of think that's necessary, I guess. I mean, if, if, if it makes you uncomfortable, that's a good thing, I think, about showing drug use. You know what? It's not so much that it makes me uncomfortable, but I feel like oh, I've seen this. <laughs> like there's, there has to be a way to like show yeah. this that isn't the same cl- scene that mm. I've seen yeah. over and over and over. When someone goes to the dentist in a movie... We don't get a close-up of the mouth and watch all the dental work happen and watch a tooth get pulled. But every time that there's, like, a needle, it's close-up, here's that shot, here it goes. <laughs> and it's like, all right, give me some symbolism. Give me something else. That's just what I've seen. But, you know, Dave feels differently. Here we go. Speaking of Elvis, full transparency. Two weeks ago when you guys were discussing the movie Elvis, I literally stopped the podcast, bought a ticket online, went straight to the theater to see it. Whoa. <laughs> We are influential. Wow. You two sold me on the film immediately. I don't know all that much about Elvis Presley, but my mom was a huge fan, so I do know his music. I'll admit the film resonated in my mind for a good two days. I found myself looking up stuff about Elvis out of curiosity uh, that the film had generated in my mind. I'm sure Austin uh, Butler will be uh, nominated for his role. Maybe even win Best Actor. He was outstanding as Presley and did a great job convincing what a powerhouse performer Elvis was up until the end. Mm -hmm. And I really do love biopics. Maybe for the same reasons I love, uh, I enjoy reading biographies. I teared up when I saw Stan and Ollie a few years back. Yeah, I like that. I was astonished at Jeff Bridges' role as uh, Preston Tucker in Tucker. Uh, But here's why I'm laughing at that. I had a friend uh, whose dad um, was a big fan of the movie, but always got the the title wrong. And he thought the movie was, because it was like Tucker, a man in his dream, but the poster was him standing next to uh, his car. And so, and he he thought that the title was Tucker, a man in his car. (laughs) And he would always call it that. And it was like, it's a man in his dream. (laughs) And then once again, back to, yeah, oh, I love Tucker, a man in his car. Not and his car. Anyway, uh, but I think uh, the biopic that wins me over the most was Scorsese's. Oh, once once again, we're bringing him back. Uh, the Aviator with Leonardo DiCaprio as mm. Howard Hughes. That's a good one. The icing on the cake was Kate Blanchett's uh, role as Catherine Hepburn, which she won Best Actress for. Damn, she was good. She's very good. And what I like about that movie is this showing like Catherine Hepburn in like her normal life, mm. not. On set, not it's just like them golfing. Like it's just kind of cool to see yeah. that part of. I like that because even like that Elvis movie, you don't really see like Elvis is like goofing off too much. You see other people goofing off, but usually he's like in broad sort of business talk or whatever, and people are like doing stuff behind them. You're like, oh, I just wish you could see them. Kate Blanchett is my second favorite Catherine Hepburn uh, portrayal. Next to, next I guess. Go ahead. Is the are the initials M S? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Martin Short in STV. Martin Short. 
<laughs> yeah, the uh, Saturday Night Live sketch, uh, 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 relatives of the celebrity relatives of the rich and famous. Oh, so good. Oh, his version of Catherine Hepburn. I was thinking of the one where they did the uh, the the uh, astronaut doing a murder in the cathedral. The yes, the T.S. Eliot play. Oh, good. <laughs> So surreal. Yeah, such a, a weird... Such a weird idea. Such a weird idea. You couldn't do it on SNL. You couldn't do it anywhere else. Yeah. Only do it on that. Uh, you could do it nowadays in some of the weird sketch shows where yeah. anything can happen. Yeah. But back then, when it was network, you had to really... It <laughs> was be, unusual. Trust your audience. Anyway, I enjoy the performances. I really do. I can only imagine what an actor does to prepare for such an undertaking. Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny Cash. Or Tom Hanks is just about everyone else. Have you ever noticed that Hanks now makes a living by playing other people? Walt Disney, Fred Rogers, uh, Sully Sullenberger, Captain Phillips, Colonel Tom Parker, and now Geppetto? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Hanks stays as a toy cowboy uh, and talking to volleyballs are the distant past I get. I know. he, He once was the wooden toy. Now he makes the wooden toys. That's progress. Good for him. Hey, if uh, if Wilson existed in the Toy Story universe uh, when uh, when Tom Hanks's character went to sleep, would Wilson come to life? Just, hmm. Yeah, uh, give us your thoughts. I'll finish out by mentioning one more biopic that moves me every time I see it: Robert Downey Jr. as Chaplin. That was very good. Yeah, it's very close uh, second to The Aviator for me, but it affects me differently and weighs on my heart as I watch the life of Charlie Chaplin—a complicated life for such a little tramp. Okay, Ian, send the freezies. I just might put them down my pants. And wait, uh, what is a freezy anyway? It sounds cold, so I'm all uh, for it in this triple-digit fuckery. An enjoyable week to all my fellow sneakers, Finn. Go to, like, if you feel comfortable going to Amazon.com. Uh, go there and just enter the word freezies and then get the jumboest ones you freaking can. <laughs> Have those sent to you. Put them in the freezer. Uh, cut them away. We both had freezies before this show, by the way. Yes. Dave and, David and I. I did. Have. And traditionally, I would share a freezy if it was like with my wife or whatnot. We each had our own big, giant. <laughs> and hey, are you saying, hey, Ian, have you ordered more because you're almost out? Yes. Have you ordered sugar free ones uh, for your sister in law who's not having sugar? Yes. I, uh, we're doing the whole thing. We love freezies here. Um, look them up, freezies. Uh, Billy writes, hello, all. Hello, Billy. Uh, biopics that I love, Serpico, Raging Bull, Ed Wood. However, I don't uh, know if I would call Ed Wood a successful biopic or just a hilarious take on Ed Wood and his movies. <laughs> Much of the darker parts of his life are left out. Uh, being an inaccurate movie seems like an Ed Wood thing to do, though. You know, having taking creative liber- liberties, that feels right for, for him. Serpico is gritty and realistic. Raging Bull is highly stylized and often feels dreamlike. Uh, but I would bet that it gets uh, Jake LaMotta's life pretty right in terms of themes and lessons learned. The destructive nature of jealousy, the alienation of family members, and the self-loathing of compromising your principles. <laughs> yeah. With uh, Serpico, when I was growing my hair out uh, many years ago, in the 90s, uh, people would call me Serpico. I had a Serpico-ish look. And I was like, hey, quit it. <laughs> when you mentioned portrayals of stand-up comedy and movies, the first two films... I thought of for Scorsese's King of Comedy and Richard Pryor's Go-Go Dancer, Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling. Uh, Robert De Niro's character Rupert Pupkin is fascinating, and when he finally gets on stage at the end to perform, his routine isn't good, but it's definitely better than you expected it to be. Not good, but not insanely bad, which is a shock. Have you guys seen the movie? I have, and I also saw it when it got remade as The Joker. 
Or just Joker. I know it's Joker. I understand. Um, but yeah, no, I think he uh, succeeds at the end with his with his act because he's so practiced at it. Like, he gets it. It works. Which, again, you're right. You expect it to go the other way, and it doesn't, which is a nice twist. And uh, Jojo Dancer is a tough one because, like, yes, the routines are very, very good. But Richard Pryor is basically doing Richard Pryor. Yeah, yeah. So he's he is a stand-up doing stand-up. I mean, it's the right way to, to, to do a stand-up film is actually hire a stand-up comic to do the do the stand-up. Then it will be done properly. Uh, in fact, let's keep talking about it. Uh, Pryor's Jojo Dancer is a thinly veiled biopic of his own life. An autobiopic? Uh, when Jojo clearly is meant to be Pryor. So I guess it's cheating to say that Pryor's Jojo stand-up comedy bits in the movie are very funny and seem real. It is Richard Pryor performing them. But thanks again for your wonderful weekly podcast. And thank you for that. <laughs> uh, Edward uh, re- replies... You guys know it's twice weekly, right? You're getting all the shows. I didn't know that. Oh. Why aren't you inviting me to those other podcasts? What are you doing? <laughs> Disorganized. Edward uh, Draganski replies to that. Oh, yeah, Billy. De Niro and Martin Scorsese were killing it in the 80s with Kings of Comedy and Raging Bull. Mm-hmm. Bolster like a, a master class in film. I can remember how cringy it was watching the uh, fat, washed-up Lamada trying to do stand-up in his restaurant, then move uh, forward to watch Rupert Pupkin do the same in his basement. Scorsese and De Niro uh, brought those scenes to life flawlessly as we watched nervously. Then... There was the scene in Casino, too, where De Niro was trying to do that god-awful TV show, juggling and carrying on like a bad host, making bad acting look good. To which Billy replies, and Casino is a biopic, too. De Niro's character is a real person, and Joe Pesci's, too. I'm sure most of the characters in and are there uh, were real people. Yeah, That's true. There you go, there you go. Uh, Edward Dramansky replies again. Perhaps, perhaps my favorite. What's that? Perhaps my favorite Scorsese film. Is it? Casino, yeah. All right. Uh, uh, I like King Comedy. Uh, I just thought it would be cool to tell you my oldest stepson is just south of you guys. He's on an interview uh, in, all right, I don't know how to pronounce this, Anacortes, Washington? Anacortes. Anacortes, Washington this week. Yeah. Well, hello. We'll yell out the window to him. Hello. <laughs> hey. How's it going, eh? Okay. Good luck with that. All right. Good one. Bye. All right. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> uh, Louise uh, says, in case it comes up in his interview, uh, let him know we locals pronounce the name of the body of water that separates BC and Washington State as the state as the as the Strait of Juan de Fuca, not Juan de Fuca, and certainly not Juan de Fuca. <laughs> yes, Juan de Fuca. Oh boy. Okay. Listen, it's uh, it's too hot for me to pronounce things phonetically. Pretty soon they won't be calling it that anyway. What are they calling it? Uh, I believe they're going to change Coca-Cola it. Coca-Cola Stream? Yes, they're going to, it's going to be sponsored by uh, an insurance company. Insert name here. Peter Ayers writes, Here he is, chipping in late again, hoping to slip in under the wire, through the computer, <laughs> over the desk, into Ian's eyes, and out of his mouth. Ooh, gross. Good luck like with that. Any of this. Oh, boy. this is like a horror movie from the 90s. <laughs> Ugh, this is The Hidden, uh, which is a good movie. It's worth watching. Uh, biopics are tough to get, uh, right? Uh, partly because every life has such obvious, uh, an obvious beginning, middle, and an end, this structure uh, can put the narrative on predictable rails uh, to a bumper ending. For this reason, I prefer slice-of-life stories that focus on a brief period in a life and find the story within that period. Warts and all productions seem to uh, be more fun than hagiographies. So Mommy Dearest is a firm favorite, as are American Splendor and I, Tanya. 
Amadeus is also a fine film, perhaps because it's so relaxed about facts and focuses on spinning a beguiling yarn. The most authentic-feeling uh, stand-up performance I can think of on film is from Jenny Slate in Obvious Child. Yes, very good, but I she is... I think she, I've seen that. Oh, it's, it's quite good. Huh. Uh, but she is, you know, stand-up that's doing kind of stand-up. But, you know, which nails the atmosphere of a comedy club perfectly. That part's true. Absolutely. That was right. Uh, I'd forgotten about, how compl- about her completely until she showed up in, as big nose in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And now I see she's about to win us over again with the aggressively charming Marcel the Shell with shoes on. <laughs> yeah, she always does, like, fantastic stuff. Uh, swore on Saturday Night Live. People remember her for that. Man, she does so much. She's so great. Uh, I did mean to uh, pick up on your uh, chat from a couple of weeks back about Roosevelt's glasses and Ian's comment about how they are hard to draw, which everyone will have forgotten about by now, including me. <laughs> Nonetheless, I agree that glasses are tricky to draw. They're even harder to carve. And despite everything odious about Mount Rushmore, Roosevelt's specs are a masterclass in less is more problem solving, mm. uh, with only the bridge and a hint of the lower lip sketched in. So you're saying he can't actually see through those things. Yeah. Poor guy. He's up there on the mountain all blind. Uh, thanks, David, for another delightful song selection. Oh, My favorite sports welcome. songs uh, may well be Manchester uh, Football Double, in which... Lord Kitchener does the unheard of and celebrates both Manchester's teams of City and United. Hmm. As with so many uh, calypsos, the subject matter is unique and the lyricism, lyricism is witty. In this case, using punditry cliches such as City beat them convincingly. In the same vein, Lord Beginner's victory test match provides a full rundown of the uh, England-West Indies match at Lord's in 1950. Due in part to their nursery rhyme charm, calypsos often get away with astonishingly brazen double entendres. Perhaps this could inspire a future smutty song selection. Ooh. Oh, Dave is a very clean cat. Bo- We're going to see where songs. this is going to go. Uh, and uh, sorry, the, uh, there's a correction uh, that uh, it meant uh, bummer, not bumper endings. Yes, yes, indeed. Nothing wrong with the bumper ending. I like that. I like a bumper ending very much. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for those. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of emails. Uh, my nope, friend. no emails this week. Uh, then let me ask you this. This is a very basic question. Oh, basic. Uh, and, and look, uh, for our listeners in Australia, flip it. Flip this. Flip <laughs> this around. Okay. Uh, what are you doing? What do you do to keep cool? What's your keep cool tips? Mm. We need to keep cool because it's hot. Uh, now I know. I wear hey, sunglasses at night. There you go. Uh, you're in Australia, you're going, hey, it's winter, what the hell are you talking about? Fine. What do you do to keep warm? What do you do to keep warm? And that's basically go outside. I know, it's not that, it's not that cold. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm asking you. It's like, what's your tips? What's your tips? Because I think, I'm worried about Edward. His brain is sweating. Oh yeah, that sounds serious. And he doesn't have any sweat glands, so that is not a good sign. (laughs) Yeah, it might not be sweating, it might just be leaking. Yeah, it might be leaking ideas. Mm. Take them, put them in a glass, save them for later when you need some ideas. Freeze them, put them in the fridge, uh, and then you can thaw them out when you need ideas in the future. My question, though, to you is, what are you doing to beat the heat? David, do you have another question? Yeah, my question is, what's the big idea? Okay, what's the big idea? Sounds good? No. So, I don't mind that one, actually. There's a lot you could... Uh... Yes, that's. but I'm going to narrow it down a little bit. My question is, uh, what do you think the best invention is? Okay, all right. Very good. I like it. 
that came in my mind when I thought of what's the big idea. What's the big idea and what's the best invention? What's the best <laughs> you can answer what's the big idea. You can answer what's the big idea if you want, sure. No one's going to stop there's a fun. Uh, there's a fun bit in um, uh, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris where she befriends the accountant uh, at the House of Dior as well as one of the models. Mm-hmm. And uh, both of them are mad for Sartre. So they're both reading Being in Nothingness and uh, keep having these, these existential dis- discussions. And it's, uh, it's very charming. Oh, I found a Sartre, huh? Well, hmm. I guess there's no accounting for taste. Because hmm? huh? you can't accountant. So oh, okay. Count. Yeah. There's no accounting for taste. <laughs> so I was trying to do a joke with that with the, fa- with the fashion. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be a direct uh, joke with Sartre. <laughs> so, yes. It's fun, though. Because um, in a way, it feels like we don't really wrestle with those kind of big ideas anymore. Yeah. As a culture. There's a time when people took these things seriously. Oh my gosh, someone's claiming that God is dead and people are telling us that we have to create our own our own moral systems and uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, there's something, one of the things that's interesting about that is like uh, during his life when he's talking about that, uh, you know, all the people that were debating that kind of thing are now dead. So they know. <laughs> that's right. Right, or, so they it's like, or they don't know. That's an answered question. Yeah, it's like uh, now they're going like, ah, there you go. That makes this all makes sense. Yeah. Or ah, or you know what have you? Yeah, I think. Oh yeah, like this is a lot of like uh, alligators trying to weigh my heart. <laughs> this is a surprise. Yes, yes. Everyone knows so much about Egyptian myth now after a moonlight. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I seem to be a little Victorian girl now. Huh, well, time to start singing creepy uh, lullabies. <laughs> around the rosy, bitsy, bitsy spider. Hush, hush, we all fall down. That would fall, fall down mean they're going to kill you, basically. So, mm-hmm. just so you know, if you hear that song being sung in any sort of house situation that you might be in, yeah. Probably best to leave. Yeah, don't listen to the whole song, you fool. No, no. <laughs> the second you hear oh, it around, gone. <laughs> nope. Because they got to nope. finish the song before they kill you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So They're uh, contractually obligated. They're paying for it. They better finish it. So if people want to let us know their thoughts, yes. what can they do? Yeah, you should maybe tell them since this is your episode. Oh, God damn it. Is it still? <laughs> yes, even at the end. I got it wrong. I forgot. It's too hot. <laughs> Here's what you do. Yep. Uh, write your ideas down, fold them into a paper plane, oh. and throw them in the sky. Don't look at where they go, oh. and then they go to God. Yes. And then he'll, at least that's what Sartre said. He'll forward them to us. Yes. Uh, or if you don't want to do that, stinkydragon.com is our website. That's where all our episodes are. And then yep. you post them in the uh, kind of message area underneath there. Quite simple to do. Just look at what all the other kids are doing. And uh, post there. You can reply directly to other people's uh, comments. Or just state your own. And that'd be swell. And if you go there as well, listen, man. Dave always puts up a nice little video or something. Something clever. His description of this episode is always a delight. So go check that out. And hey, if you're like, uh, want to listen to any of the past episodes we've ever done, they're all up above. All of our podcasts, for crying out loud. It's, uh, they're all there. Uh, if you prefer to email, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. Sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. If you're one of those Twitter types, don't be embarrassed. Uh, we're at sneaky underscore dragon. And if you're a Tumblr folk from way back when, <laughs> sneakydragon.tumblr.com is our address on there. 
So any of those ways is fine and dandy. Uh, if you want to support us through Patreon, we appreciate it. We have a Patreon account that you can access on our webpage and or you can just go to patreon.com and enter Sneaky Dragon and, uh, you know, uh, throw a little uh, dosh our way that keeps uh, things a-moving and a-doovin'. Uh, we also do a kids' book series called Sparks. Dave is the colorist. I am. I am the writer. And our friend Nina, who are we seeing, uh, Nina Matsumoto, who are we seeing later on tonight, uh, Will is the artist. She's not uh, Will. She'll be doing nothing. But she's the uh, she's the artist. We have three books, Sparks, Sparks Double Dog Dare, and Sparks Future Perfect. We're proud of all of them. Yes. On Amazon, if you're... I'm sorry, I plugged Amazon twice. But if you go to Amazon, uh, we are five stars reviews on all three books, which we're also quite proud of. So please, And some of them have won awards. Some of those awards have shown up intact. Some have not. Uh, we're running about 50-50 on the intact awards. Mm. You know, when you make your awards out of glass, they're gorgeous. They're so beautiful. Uh, we're happy to reassemble them when we get them uh, in pieces. Yes. But they're very beautiful. Um, and I think that's about it. I think we're done. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, please take care of yourselves. Stay cool if you're too hot. Stay hot if you're too, if you're too cool. And uh, and uh, and just uh, take care of yourselves and stay healthy. I've been Ian. I've been David. And we're gonna go get ourselves some ramen. Hot. Bing. Bye. <laughs>